don't think this is what Aretha Franklin meant. You, Booker man. Dad, what's Liz doing here? She handed her what? Shoot a Ric Flair. She handed her shoot a Flair and Flair. I don't believe this. Hold on. Hey, wait a minute. What's that? What's that? Can you hear that? That incessant whining coming from the northeast part of the building. Kind of sounds like. Ah, never mind. He's got Liz's shoe. I can't him. believe it. And he comes. No. One, two, three. Yeah. Rick Flair wins. Rick Flair wins. Keep your eye on Hello, my name is Bob Bamber and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to February 1996, Volume 1 of this month's show. Volume 2 is the WWF show, looking at In Your House 6. Volume 3 is the ECW show, looking at Cyberslam, along with the appearance of Brian Pillman, which we'll, we'll jump off back off the nicely off what we're going to be discussing today. We're here in Volume 1 to discuss WCW, uh, mainly looking at Super Bowl and a few other things. I'm being joined first by Kieran Mitchell. Kieran, hello. Evening, Bob. And from WCWWorldwide.com, Brian Barrera. Brian, hello. Hey, how you doing, Bob? Um, very well, thank you, Brian. Uh, you can kick us off with the news. All right, let's see here. The evolution of the Brian Pillman character culminated in Pluma being fired in what is a very elaborate storyline. It's said that only a few people, including Eric Bischoff, Kevin Sullivan, and Pillman himself, were in on it. And what otherwise a set of events designed to work the talent as well as the fans in theory. According, after multiple backstage arguments and television tapings, Pillman walked out 90 seconds into his match against Sullivan at Super Brawl. Six days later, he arrived at the ECW arena, cutting a swear word filled promo that you can hear about in Volume 3. Ric Flair is the new WCW World Champion, winning the title back from Randy Savage at Super Brawl after Miss Elizabeth turned on Randy Savage. The change marks the fifth month in a row that the title has changed hands. Savage lost a rematch on Nitro eight days later. On the rest of the pay-per-view, Sting and Lex Luger defended their tag titles in two separate matches against Harlem Heat and the Road Warriors. There were also wins for the Nasty Boys over the Public Enemy. Johnny B. Bad, Conan and Hulk Hogan defeated the Giant in the main event. There was a power failure during the main event of Nitro on February 5th. While it was restored shortly after... Comments by Eric Bischoff may think a bigger deal. Bischoff essentially openly questioned on air who could have caused the outage before a week later being made to apologize on air by TBS lawyers. The tirades come in on, the tirades come in amongst another set of billionaire Ted segments on Raw and Vince McMahon's developing plan to try and harm WCW, which you can listen about in volume two. WCW held one of their marathon TV tapings this month for the next few months of syndicated television, potentially giving away a few key storyline developments. Randy Savage wore the WCW title belt out to the ring for a match that hasn't aired yet, but it's said that this is largely an exception, particularly as decisions are being made last minute. Also is the babyface turn of both the Giant and Zodiac, largely due to Hogan wanting them to be babyface so he can hang around with them in public. 
Zodiac, whose babyface turn is already complete on Nitro, appeared on television at as the Booty Man. He is also said to have played the Clipmaster on the syndicated shows. For those keeping count, that would be his sixth different name in less than two years with the company. While it wasn't referenced on television, Lex Luger won the WCW television title off of Johnny B. Bad at a live event before dropping it back to him the following day. It's also said that WCW may be going back into the house show business after his series of strong events in February. Noteworthy was a Baltimore event that drew 8,000 paid fans without Hulk Hogan. The WWF recently did a show in the city and drew under 6,000. And we end with the ratings for the month. On January 27th, Nitro with Hogan and Flair did a 2.8 against Raw's 2.4. The Bret Undertaker title match on February the 5th on Raw wasn't enough as Nitro did a 2.9 against Raw's 2.7. Raw didn't air on February the 12th, the Westminster Dog Show doing a 3.9 in its place. Nitro, unopposed, did a 3.7. And coming off of In Your House 6, Raw did a 3.1 to Nitro's 2.9. The combined 6.0 being the highest rating until the following week on February the 26th, with Raw doing a 3.1 and Nitro winning the day with a 3.2. Nitro's replay figures for the entire month also hovers around the 1.0 mark. Well, you know something, brother? I can tell you what happened here, brother. There's complete chaos. We gotta put a stop to Ric Flair. As far as I'm concerned, Mean Gene, I can see what's in front of me. It's the giant in the Bayfront Center. It's Ric Flair next. Then someday, me and the Macho Man. Hold on, brother. Don't talk. You know what it's gonna be? Hogan! Look out, Hogan! Get out of there! Oh! Wow! And Hogan does... Oh, no, 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 Hello. Like a 357 Magnum going off in this arena. Why didn't you warn old Hogan about the blind side? Oh, don't blame her. She tried to. She tried to, Randy. Don't blame her. She, honest to God, tried to get some help for this man. Come on. Get me some paramedic. This is ridiculous. You're going to need more than paramedics. You better call Mayo Clinic. Did you see how Flair was ripping at those butterfly stitches in his eye? Oh, get the camera off that. Please. Savage Hogan is in trouble. Get some help. And we start, we come back live, quote-unquote, to the show. Uh, TV reviews, only one Nitro before the pay-per-view. We've got some stuff to discuss. So there's no pre- TV review pre-tape for this. Um, so, basically, there's I've, I've got kind of four paragraphs of notes. We're not going to do anything massively long, but there's there's enough things of note here that I, I think it's worth having a quick discussion about them. Uh, we open up Nitro on February the 5th with a world title match between Randy Savage and Chris Benoit. Savage takes a pretty beating in this match. Woman, who is out with Miss Elizabeth with Savage, distracts the ref as Benoit throws Savage over the top rope. Benoit then goes for a lovely tope, but Savage moves and Benoit hits his, hits the ground with his head quite hard. Savage rolls him back into the ring, hits a top rope elbow drop. Flair comes out and goes after Miss Elizabeth. Woman provides the distraction that enables Flair to get the upper hand on Savage. I think you know where this one's going. Flair and Anderson beat down Savage until Hulk Hogan comes out and runs them off. Woman walks off with Flair, Anderson and Benoit. Hogan cuts a listless promo. 
Flair comes back out and sucker punches him. Flair works over Hogan, stitched up, uh, works over Hogan's stitched up forehead. Hogan rallies, but the giant leathers him with a steel chair. Then Zodiac tells Giant to stop. They're, they're both heels at this point, just, uh, just to remind you. Uh, and that delays inevitable, uh, that delay enables Savage to run out and run them off. If ever there was a segment that summed up six months of Nitro, it was this. Kieran, what did you think? It was kind of an odd one. I'd, I... I kind of felt like maybe Benoit, I don't know if he'd been told to do it a certain way or whether Savage was sort of limited or he wasn't prepared to take much of a beat. But it seemed like Benoit was holding a lot back. It seemed quite slow. Um, there was quite, for a short-ish match, there was quite a few rest holds. Um, it was an okay match, but the, the thing that, the only real note I've got of anything was that face plant by Benoit. Um it was just, God, the the sound that his head made when he hit the floor was just, like, sickening. But as the match goes itself, it was okay. The, the heel turn by woman was kind of obvious, I thought, when, you know, as soon as she comes in, you know, knowing who she was already, I thought it was quite obvious. But overall, it was it was a decent match. I just thought it could have been a lot better. Yeah, as well saying, I don't think Benoit did land on his head. I think the noise is his kind of chest area hitting the matting. But he, uh, he his head may well hit the ground afterwards, and it was... Uh, yeah. Not the prettiest of, uh, of <laughs> spots, Brian. That is a, a fantastic looking spot. Whenever he goes, fl- he goes flying out the ring in the suicide dive. I thought he actually hit the edge of that uh, the barricade, and I couldn't believe that he didn't just. I thought he was going to be knocked out. Other things in the match, uh, my notes here. I liked the bring back Ultimate Warrior sign just. <laughs> In the background, <laughs> the entire match, I thought that was funny. Um, the match itself, I, I actually liked it. I thought it was pretty interesting that Benoit had this match pretty much 95% of the way. He, it was all Benoit. His attacks, it was all like a, a brawl, but did they, was this a non-title match? Did they announce that right before? I think they did. I've got it in my notes. Um, okay, okay. See, I, I missed that, and they made reference to um, softening up Savage for Flair, and I'm just watching it, going, "Why would you? Why would he allow Flair to win this title off of Savage when it's obvious Benoit can handle Savage himself?" Yeah, I had a similar thought because I kind of looked at it as though Benoit was maybe like a hired gun, which is why they booked it the way they did. So I kind of saw that as well. Yeah. Um, no, I. I I think it was a title match. Uh, I, I'm willing to be corrected on that. But but no, I mean, you know, it, we, we we're six days before the pay-per-view, um, uh, and it was a match that, that made sense, if nothing else. Um, and yeah, like the, the post-match stuff was just so utterly confusing. I mean, mm. it, it was such a long post-match angle that, that half the guys involved in it had time to go to the back and then come back out again. Like, that was, I, I, that's just perplexing. But, I mean, Brian, if, if ever there was a segment that summed up the first six months of Nitro, I think this was probably it. A good, a good quality wrestling match between two named guys, and then just a deluge of stuff afterwards. I, I thought it was uh, interesting, the whole thing with the Zodiac, kind of keeping the giant from completely destroying Hogan. Plays into 
Um, the Babyface turn, I, I, I guess that that was kind of one of those things where had far less things have been happening, they uh, mm-hmm. they might have had more time to you know draw attention to that. Um, I think as it was, it was just a, a thing lost in a long list of things that happened after the match. Um, but it did make sense given that Zodiac was turning. Uh, I suppose there's that. Um, I think that probably makes sense. Um, oh boy, next up. Here we go. Next up is Hugh Morris and the Taskmaster against Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman. Pillman starts shoving a cameraman as he regroups with Anderson. This match has a perplexing level of selling, particularly from Morris, Morris, who seems to be laughing off much of the offense. Taskmaster and Pillman get into things and quickly break down into a scuffle. Taskmaster pulls Pillman into a tree of row and lays in a running knee. Anderson leads Sullivan away towards the stage area. He goes for a pile driver, but someone hits Anderson with a mop. We don't see who it is. Back in the ring, Morris hits a highly impressive moonsault, and Sullivan lays in some shots to Pillman with a strap. Um, Brian, what, what do you think of this? I think Hugh Morris looks like an idiot. <laughs> I'm not a fan of him. I, I don't really understand. Um, well, I guess I, it makes sense for him to be in a dungeon to do. You know, he doesn't really fit anywhere else, I guess. He's a bit of a misfit. But just uh, the whole thing with Mr. Wonderful showing up, I, I, I noticed that you say you couldn't tell who did it, but uh, to me it seems pretty obvious who it was. You kind of caught that giant chin peeking out of the curtain. Yeah, um, it, w- we are going to get the wonderful reveal in about two minutes. Um, <laughs> th- thoughts on the, the Pillman and Sullivan stuff, Brian? This loose cannon that this that Brian Pillman's coming across, it's pretty interesting, especially him actually attacking the cameraman and looking straight forward, pushing the camera with his hand, telling him to get out of my face. I, I like seeing that. I like seeing that on television. It kind of breaks the wall, but you know, I think I'm just kind of not used to seeing things like that on television. Yeah. It makes I- it more realistic. Yeah, I think that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that works. We're going to have a big discussion about Pillman later in the show. Um, uh, one of my big reservations, and again, yeah, the, there's a lot of Pillman crossover between this show and the ECW show uh, in, in Volume Three. But one of the things I, I I've kind of said on that show, and I think I'm going to say later, is that I think there's there's some stuff here that's going to work with crowds, and there's some stuff here that's going to fly over their heads. I think Pillman's interaction, you know, he walks out with Ironson, and his first instinct is to sprint left of stage, or right of stage, or on which angle you're looking at it, um, and, and just to shout at someone in the crowd, and then mouthing off towards the cameraman. I think that stuff makes sense, but Kieran, I, I don't know that the... I call it shoot grappling match in the audio we're going to hear later. Maybe that's not the right way of putting it. But I don't know that them kind of rolling around in this supposed shoot fight style is, is particularly getting over with anybody. Yeah, the, it's it's kind of a for me it's kind of a double edged sword because like Brian said, you want the you want them to inject some sort of realism because obviously it's going to be you know hopefully as a trend going forward that'd be great to see more people do that realistic stuff. But then you still want some semblance of a wrestling match. You know, these guys are supposed to be professionals. And while I'm I'm fascinated by the Pillman character on his own, his relationship to Sullivan is like another thing entirely. And then, of course, we'll talk about it later, but the ECW thing, it takes it even further. But still, there's still, I would like to see some kind, like I said, some semblance of in-ring work that isn't just two guys rolling around landing stiff shots on each other. 
Yeah. That's how I kind of feel about it. I just kind of feel like it, it, it's lost in the sense that it's not like wrestling is this hyper-realistic style of fighting. So... Yeah, it, it just... It's just like... we. I want the realism, but I don't want it to affect the in-ring work because then it just does become like you know like you said in the description it comes almost like just stupid fisticuffs like a bit of a slapping match and more the point how how do you draw attention to that as a commentator oh look they're (laughs) they're shoot fighting what's the rest of it then you know how do you how do you differentiate between that like there's a there's a way of uh there's a way of having pillman be this outlandish character and a way of transitioning it into a wrestling ring that makes sense in a wrestling storytelling. But I don't know that this is it. I don't know that them just rolling around with each other, you know, it's like, oh, look, they're brawling. But it's like, but but what about when the Nasty Boys and the Public Enemy do their brawl, which looks nothing like that? Why is that phrased yeah. the same way? Anyway, yeah. we're going to discuss the Pillman thing more later on. That is a match I would highly recommend you, you, you go back and watch just because it's just mental. Anyway... Next up, Ric Flair walks out with Woman for his match with, uh, with Marcus Bagwell. Paul Orndorff comes up to the commentary position and reveals that he was the one that hit Arnson with the mop, as, as Brian quite nicely spoiled for us a couple of minutes ago. Hulk Hogan has been taken to the hospital. Bagwell unloads on Flair and the crowd respond in kind. The WWF will be far more effective in their aim of undercutting WCW's drug testing policy if they simply showed a photo of Bagwell from a year ago and one from today. He looks significantly bigger. After a surprisingly decent match, Flair submits Bagwell in the figure four. Flair doesn't let go after the bell, and Savage comes out to run him off. Kieran, what do you think of this match? Um, not great, I suppose. I, I kind of have a bit of a mental block with Ric Flair, if I'm honest. I know that might be kind of a sacrilege thing to say, but I kind of get, you see all the same sort of stick all the time. Um, I didn't think. Bagwell was particularly good. He looks really good, and I think there's quite a lot of potential with Bagwell, but I don't really have any lasting impressions of the match, to be honest. Brian? Uh, yeah, just like a good standard tele- television match. The only thing noteworthy, I guess, about it is Bagwell's beat red chest afterwards. I mean, Flair was <laughs> laying into those chops, so uh, laying those chops into him pretty badly there. Yeah, I, I think of the four things we're covering from this show, this is probably uh, by, by some distance the least significant. So you might wonder, well, why are we covering this? It just it made sense to to, to bring them in. It's a what well, one good thing about Nitro is that we're getting more name matches, and as much as they are doing their absolute best to do Hogan and Flair, Hogan and Savage every other uh, sorry Hogan and Flair, Savage and Flair every other week, there are weeks where they're having to do Flair against mid card guy, Savage against mid-card guy and it's quite interesting to watch the match was actually quite good and um, i suppose we, we shouldn't be shot where flair's concerned but bagwell's a guy who you know he's his body's clearly evolving um i'm not quite sure what's happening with um the american males tag team we've seen we've seen him and scotty riggs as a singles axe this month but they're, they're, they're you know i think there's you know it's, it's an interesting spot for bagwell when it could have been one of any other number of guys so i think that was interesting if nothing else anyway on to the main event, we get Lex Luger and Sting against the Road Warriors. This match isn't much of note, but the power does out go out completely at one point in the building. Uh, they cut to a commercial break, uh, got the power back on via a backup generator, although the lighting is noticeably dimmer. Luger grabs uh, a block of lead that Jimmy Hart has brought out to the ring. He leathers Animal with it and pins him. 
The crowd boo and Sting isn't happy. After the match, the Road Warriors lay down the challenge to Luger and Sting. Um, Kieran, power outage. Eric Bischoff saying, I, I, I like certain forms of competition, but I don't like this, or kind of words to that effect. Um, interesting. Yeah, it's interesting, but it's a tad naive of him within the current climate and the state of his relationship. Not saying that even if his relationship was better, he should still say it. I'm staggered that a guy would sort of naively insinuate that another company is trying to sabotage his. I mean, he must have. The thing is, the outage is planned, obviously. So, well, therefore, what he's saying is Well, planned. the outage wasn't planned. Oh, like, oh, okay, I've missed that. It'd be, it'd be a bit of a silly idea to plan a power outage during the main event of your live show. Actually, well, yeah. Like, the, 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 the whole point was, was that this is the, the whole the whole thing about this is that yeah. this is an insight into Eric Bischoff's mindset and into WCW's mindset. There was a small little story from last month that uh, certainly made Stewart's kind of uh, billionaire Ted wrap up on the WCW part. I don't think it made the news. Uh, they had a Nitro taping. I think it was the final one of the month or a Nitro live event. Um, and during the day there was a, a fire drill or a, a fire alarm went off and they had to evacuate the building while they dealt with all of that. And there was this kind of story going around that like some people in WCW were attributing, attributing it to the WWF, and like that's the that's the level of paranoia going around right now. The, the the whole the whole thing about this is that they have a legitimate power outage. They come back on a few minutes later, and Eric Bischoff, somewhat subtly enough of plausible deniability, where if it you know <laughs> if it ever got to any distance, he could you know but if you want to read between the lines basically saying you know i like a battle but don't don't cause a power outage on our live tv show this is this is the level of where it's at and one thing dave Meltzer said we want to talk about brian pill being loose cannon eric bischoff probably isn't that far well, behind he's, he's he's not at all because i mean part of pillman's thing is just basically a he's pissed off and b he's probably a bit of a nutter anyway whereas bischoff doesn't come across as that but Obviously, there's a lot of, um, you know, neuroses or paranoia, you know, that's just stemming from everything that Bischoff's, the way he's acting and the things he's saying. I mean, that's, apologies there, because I just read that as a complete work. I, I, I'm, I'm shocked that he would, that it's at that level where I, that just felt scripted to me, that did. Yeah, I, I, I think I can just about understand that viewpoint and admittedly, you know, there's a, 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 uh, a power outage live in America doesn't necessarily translate all that well to, to watching a, an edit of it in the UK. Uh, Brian, what, what do you think of, of this? Uh, the, the match itself, it, it's kind of interesting because Legion of Doom with their blue shoulder pads and blue tights, they look great. Sting looks phenomenal. Lex Luger, always, always a huge fan of him, even though I know you guys aren't. Uh, but... Oh, Luca's growing on me. We'll cover that later on. But Luca's yeah, growing same, on me. Same. Okay, well, but but then the match starts and just I don't know. Like I, I, this, these are all big stars. This should be something exciting. I should be completely into this. But then the Legion of Doom, the way they're moving around the ring, they're obviously a bit slower oh. than they used to be, and it's just it, it's not there for me. So it's kind of sad, and they're just kind of like a half step behind and. Sting, he's in top shape, and Luger can't really do too much, but I, I don't know. It, it just didn't click with me. 
Th- thoughts on Bischoff? I, I like him as a commentator. The, the role he's playing here and the constant jabs at the WWF. I, last time we had talked, we had brought this up, and I'm a huge fan of him bringing him up. I'm a huge fan of him talking, kind of a uh, kind of playing around with the notion of this eternal sabotage by the other company. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they've, they've clearly set their stall out. They, they, they set their line in the sand and they've kind of said, you know, this is, this is the approach we're going to take to this, to this rivalry. And, you know, Bischoff has gone out on, on, on live television and done some stuff that, you know, is, you know, supposed no go zones, you know, giving away results of, of other companies stuff. And I get, I get the feeling, to a point, he's done a lot of that unencumbered. He's done a lot of that without any, you know, talk back from anyone in anyone higher up in WCW or in TBS saying, you know, you can't do this. And the more that he does it, and the more that nobody pushes back, the further he goes. And then you get stuff like this. Um, and, and I say he's done it unencumbered. There were lawyers who got onto about this, you know, a few days after and said, look, you, you can't do that. So, you know, clearly there's, there's people watching, if nothing else. Um, yeah, a, a little bit, you know, a little bit crass. I, 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 I can understand why he said it at all point from kind of the mindset of we're trying to position them as the enemy. Oh, look, something's happened here. Let's just insinuate it. And, you know, he didn't say it in as many words, so maybe he thought he'd get away with it. Obviously, he didn't. Um, but, yeah, so that will wrap up our review of the February 5th Nitro, and we'll move on to looking at the pay-per-view. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I have with me... The Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal. First of all, before I get to you, let me point out. Come here, I, come here. Listen to me. We're not asking. We're demanding. We want a match with the winner, a stinging Luger, and that stinking Harlem Heat. Okay, but what, what happened here? I, I think, uh, Animal, correct me if I'm wrong. It's no secret you've had back problems over the past few years. It looked to me like Lex Luger went after that back. We owe some G-Ogley. My back wasn't right. But the past is in the past. Everybody in the world knows nobody can beat the World Warriors Legion of Doom fair and square. We're the man of WCW. You hear us? If we have to beat everybody up to get that match, Super Brawl, we want a match of the winner team. of Eat Luger and the Luger Sting. We're going to stop at nothing to see that we get you at the end of the night. Nothing at all. I'm going to tell you something. It's getting extreme, Mean Gene. Extreme, brother. You don't want to do this to us. You don't want to do it. But now you have. And now you must pay the price. Let's go. So we come back in for Super Bowl. We actually start on the main event in the hour prior to the show. Not much of any note, but here's the uh, the potted... uh, Review of what happens. Uh, we open up main event, uh, with Road Warriors against Dick Slater and Bunkhouse Buck. The crowd greet them with huge LOD chants. Carl Parker tries to get involved, strikes Buck by mistake, and the Road Warriors hit the Doomsday device for the win. Randy Savage says he's not only defending the title tonight, he's defending everything in his life. Hugh Morris defeated Chris Canyon. VK Wall Street and Big Butter defeated Joey Mags and Sergeant Craig Pittman with Teddy Long. After the match, Jim Duggan charged out this 2x4 and runs off the heels. We get a nice long video package documenting the Flair and Savage feud in recent months. We then get a promo with Flair and Woman. 
Whatever this woman wants, this man gets. Flair says two guys walk in, one walks away, and one gets taken out on a stretcher. Loch Ness, a.k.a. Giant Haystack of, of British wrestling fame, walks out during a Hacksaw Jim Duggan match with the Taskmaster. He takes out Duggan, takes out Pittman and several others. He elbow drops everyone in sight. Standing elbow drops, I should say. There is no way in hell Giant Haystack is climbing on top rope. Uh, Gene Oakland tells people to call the hotline to find out which two quote-unquote former World Wrestling Federation champions are rumoured to be heading to WCW. He's on about Diesel and Racer Ramon. We just discussing that later in the show Hogan cuts the promo with a bandage over his left eye as main event comes to an end and we will start with our review of Super Bowl Brian if you can kick us off with the results alright the Nasty Boys defeated the public enemy in a street fight John B. Bad versus DDP John B. Bad beats Diamond Dallas Page for the, uh, the retaining the World Television Championship we got Sting and Lex Luger versus Harlem Heat. Sting and Luger beat Harlem Heat. Conan beat it, the one-man gang. The Taskmaster beat Brian Pillman in the I Respect You match. A surprising twist. Arn Anderson fought the Taskmaster in a no contest. Sting and Lex Luger versus the Road Warriors. Double countout. Ric Flair beats Randy Savage for the WCW World Heavyweight Championship. And Hulk Hogan beat the Giant in a steel cage match. Kieran, what do you think of this show? Uh, it wasn't that great overall. Um, I think there was one, the, the really good match on the show, the, the Johnny B. Bad DDP was really good. The rest of it, Bob, I didn't, didn't like at all. So overall impressions, not that great. Brian? It was alright. I enjoyed my time with it. There were a couple of duds that really stood out. But, like, overall, I, I enjoyed my time. Yeah. Um, this is a decent show. I mean, we, we get the thing where Sting and Luger wrestle two separate tag matches. Um, I'd say this show, more than most, where WCW concerns, seem to have a good distribution of star power. The two main events two main event cage matches were certainly very strong in that area. The action is good. There is one really bad match that we're going to get to, but otherwise it's not a bad show. The Pillman thing, as we'll discuss, kind of throws everything into uh, a riot bit. Yeah, we end up with a lot of... Basically, they had 12 minutes lined up for Pillman and, uh, and Kevin Sullivan. Now, obviously, Bischoff, Sullivan and Pillman were on it, but the people laying out of the show apparently weren't. So when Pillman walks off after 90 seconds, all of a sudden there's an 11-minute gap they've got to fill. Anderson walks out, wrestles about three minutes with um, Sullivan until they wrap that up. So they spend, there's about a five-minute period before, the, well, it was a few minutes before the start of the Luger second tag match where Luger, you know, starts killing time, threatening not to walk down the aisle, and there's more time killing uh, with the Savage Flair match too. Um, but yeah, a, a decent show, uh, a, a show that, as, as I said, at the very least had star power, if nothing else, and we'll, uh, we'll break down each match as we get to it. Uh, we're in St. Petersburg, Florida. Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan, and Dusty Rhodes have the call. Bobby Heenan describes the two main events as like a double date whatever that means. 
we open up with the public enemy, Flybo Rocker Rock and Johnny Grunge, against the Nasty Boys, Brian Nobbs and Jerry Sags. The Nasty's wearing trainers. Shivoni notes this essentially is just a ECW-style four-way street fight tag match. The action almost immediately scatters to ringside. Rocco Rock takes a visit to WCW's fake concession stand and grabs the table. He walks it down the aisleway but runs into Sags wielding a chair. Sags strikes him three or four times and that pops the crowd. The crowd rally behind the Nasty Boys. Rock sets the table at ringside. Nobbs gets up and throws Rock off the apron through it. Sags starts leathering grunge with a trash can. Sags then pile drives Grunge onto the trash can, almost landing on his knees, such as the awkward angle of the trash can behind him. Grunge gets a foot on the ropes to block the pinfall. We're out by the concession stand. We Yes, this is like Uncensored last year. We have a fake concession stand. Brian Nobbs suplexes Rocco Rock through the table. Grunge and Sags join them in the concession area. There isn't much shelling in this match. Grunge bulldog sags onto a chair. Nob strikes Rog with a trash can lid, then takes a run up and lends it off Grunge's head. Jerry sags suplexes a table onto Rocco Rock. Yes, I did read that the right way around. Grunge lays knobs on the table. We're, we're still in the concession stand area. Rocco Rock climbs onto a small balcony area, so about ten feet up in the crowd, and does his high angle sent on. Nobs moves and Rob, Rock goes through the third, his third table of the match. Nobs pins him, and that will do for that. Brian, fun garbage. That's the best way to describe this one. To be perfectly honest with you, I am a fan of the Nasty Boys. I like them in the WWF, and to see them in WCW, I'm enjoying my time with them. And for the most part, this match was just a train wreck. But like you said, no one was selling anything, so the guy gets thrown through a table. He's immediately up pretty much soon after. Uh, a guy gets hit in the head with a couple steel chairs. He kind of flops around for a second before getting up immediately after. And near the end... I, I'm, I'm guessing maybe the Nasties had some kind of uh, thing in play where they were not going to go through a table. Regardless of what was going on in this match, they are not going to go through the table. So in the end, Public Enemy got majority of the damage in this one. Yeah, yeah same, just following on from that. I, I think like Public en- Enemy, obviously coming from where they're coming from, um, they kind of got the raw deal in this because, as Brian said, there's no way... The Nasty Boys are taking any of the serious spots, and it was the no selling. That's really the only thing. It just it just got annoying, Bob. By the end, I'm like, all right, do it at the start when the guys are a bit fresh. But as they were getting more worn down, and it's still, I mean, it was only sort of like an eight minute or so match, but still, as it's getting towards this, like you know, four, you know, two two on two beat down, at least have have some move like put a guy down for a serious amount of time and then allow a bit of a double team on someone else or something. It just got a bit annoying and I just I didn't really like the match at all. No, I I know what you mean. I think it's it's not necessarily the least fun match to watch. It's quite an enjoyable watch. The crowd were on their feet in the arena because so much was happening because they were wandering around ringside and running up towards the uh, the aisleway, uh, running up the aisleway towards the concession stand by the kind of staging area. The crowd were up for it. You know, it's not a kind of style you see all that often these days, so they were involved. Um, but this is the kind of match that if it were an ECW, one would have been involved in a much more, in front of a much more receptive crowd, but also would have been given a lot more time. And I think the biggest weakness was they tried to cram a 15 minute brawl into nine minutes. 
and therefore, and, and rather than say, okay, let's drop a few things, they tried to get everything in and just speed all the transitions up. And it didn't work. And, you know, but that being said, I still quite liked it. For all the criticisms, for all the faults, it was an enjoyable match. It did get a bit ludicrous towards the end, though. You know, like there was the amount of the, the, the top of the garbage can, the garbage can lead, the amount of strikes I think it sags gets in, yeah. um, on Johnny Grunge. Um, and Rocco Rock is earning his money getting thrown through all those tables. Yeah. And an enjoyable match. I, I you know, I mean, I, I've been hypercritical of matches before. You know, look at, um, Owen Hart and the 123 Kid a couple of years ago at King of the Ring. Uh, for a lack of selling. I'm less so in this case, more because that was, that was more to do with the fact that there was a pre-existing injury going in. Um, I just think, Kieran, I think you're right. The, the longer the match went on, the slower things should have got, and it just didn't. Um, but no, it's, sorry. it's, go on. It's, sorry, Bob. It's like, it's like knowing, knowing how, well, in hindsight, but obviously they're, they're booking the show in light of what's going to happen with other matches. You think, just give, you know, maybe if they've given these guys another, say, two minutes, they could have slowed it down a bit because well, two minutes have made talk. a lot of difference. Like, uh, you, I don't, you might have been more. Know. But I think it's wishful thinking because I've watched a lot of ECW. I know how quote unquote good that these brawls can actually be if stuff actually means something. Do you know what I mean? But isn't the onus? And we've had this thing with, with and not they went overtime, but we've had a kind of different thing. And it's it. I suppose there's actually a little interesting kind of pattern emerging uh, in the given that Sabu had time time queue issues with his matches. Now, they didn't go over time, or at least I don't think they did. But it is interesting that Sabu had issues transitioning from ECW into WCW related to time queues and that he kept overrunning. And Public Enemy have gone in and been given nine minutes. And but but I think Kieran, the point is I think the owner should be on the performers to, okay, we've got nine minutes, let's put let's work out a nine minute match rather than okay we've got nine minutes let's get all of our stuff in i think yeah. that's that's what it was i said you know there's there's matches that are mechanically kind of faulty like this that are the far less enjoyable than this uh brian anything more to add well let's see the two minutes they could have added for the match uh the, the who was it? i think it was rocco rock he got a hold on where are my notes at the jump, jumping spike pile driver on a trash can to grunge. The two minutes extra added to the match. Maybe he could have sold that for two minutes straight. Maybe that would have made it a little <laughs> bit better. Yeah, um, but no, you, you're right. I mean, there's you know, Rocco Rock did the did got thrown through the first table, and then within probably thirty seconds was up. It wasn't great. I I, I don't think that's a I don't think that's a, a, a necessary observation. But that being said, it's it, it, it's still a reasonably fun match. It just, I'd say about five or six minutes in, it was kind of on the borderline of, well, okay, you're not selling a lot, but I'll let you get away with it. And then the final three matches, they, they almost started selling less. Um, uh, and that took away from it a bit. I think that's fair enough. But the crowd enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Uh, you just got to be willing to suspend your disbelief. I think that's probably the best way of putting it. Uh, we move on. Next, me and Gene Oakland wants people to call in to find out which uh, the hotline other plug again. Uh, he interviews Conan, who looks striking and uh, looks like a Power Ranger, really. Uh, Conan says he won't let his fans down. 
Next up, it's John B. Bad with the Diamond Doll against Diamond Dallas Page for the WCW television title and DDP's 6.6 million. This storyline has taken place almost entirely on WCW Saturday night that I don't cover anymore. Uh, to fill in the blanks, essentially, uh, they're, they're, they're telling the story that it wasn't DDP that won the $13 million. It was, in fact, the Diamond Doll. Um, and now John B. Bad is fighting Diamond Dallas Page to win back what remains of the money because the DDP spent so much of it already. That's where the slightly arbitrary 6.6 million comes from, although I guess in theory it was half, 13.2, yeah, maybe that much of that makes sense. Uh, the doll comes out in full-on cheerleader mode. Paige comes out with a full bunch of roses. The roses actually don't go anywhere, which for for wrestling kind of tradition, if a guy walks out with an inanimate object, they're getting involved in the match. These didn't, which might be a first. Uh, Paige goes towards the doll, but Bad uses that as a reason to start the match. Page gets bad on the apron and starts striking his chest. Bad does a snapmare over the top to the outside. The announcers debate whether that should be a disqualification. Yes, it is still 1996 and they still haven't got their shit in order over that rule. Bad does a slingshot leg drop in the ring for a two. He does a lovely flirt over arm drag. Chivoli reminds people that Bad is trying to win the money back for the doll. Bobby Heenan, Bobby Heenan repulsed, says he's going to give the money to her. Obviously, in a, an American accent, I can't really do it. Um, Bad runs at Page, who picks him up and drops his neck over the top rope. Page then hits a gut buster and indicates a 10 to the crowd. Page hits a DDT and charges around the ring celebrating. He gets into an argument with the doll. She asks the crowd if she should give him a 10 before giving him a zero or a card. Off of the distraction, Bad almost steals it with a pin. Page locks in a sleeper and uses the ropes for some leverage. Bad rallies out of it, then hits a lovely reverse victory roll, I want to say, and the powered crop pop for the great near fall. Bad comes off the top with a double axe handle. He returns the, to the top for a lovely foot over sunset flip. Bad then just about hits a sit-out powerbomb. Bad goes for a head scissors. Page catches him and hits a lovely pancake for a two. Page locks in a standing sleeper. Bad escapes with the jawbreaker. Bad then puts a sleeper in on his own. Page sets for a tombstone pile driver. Bad spins out of it and hits his own tombstone and wins the match. He grabs an oversized check and hands it to the doll, who is now $6.6 million richer. Kieran? Easily the best match on the card for me. I really, really enjoyed it. I've said the few times I've been able to get on a uh, WCW show, he's always the guy that stands out, I think, pretty much without exception. I just think Johnny B. Bad is just... So good. Page, really, and two guys invested in the storyline, whatever you think of the storyline, whether or ridiculous or not. I love the fact that DDP sells when she gives him the zero, the way he sells it, falling back, you know, and then gets, then gets a near fall out of it. I love, I love stuff like that when, you know, a guy's really into the story and his character and everything. Um, but like I said, Johnny B. Bad, easily one of my favourites in WCW at the minute. And I just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the match. Brian, a, a fun pay-per-view match that kind of borderlines hokey, uh, the the hokey line, I guess you could say for me. I actually enjoy both of these guys. I love Diamond Dallas Page. I, I think for everything he is, his over exaggerated, uh, animated face, facial, uh, his facial features, his wind up, the way he prances around the ring. There's a lot about him that's completely ridiculous. And the storyline itself, this 6.6 million, did, did I get this right? This is bingo money. Yeah. 
<laughs> Apparently. Okay. Okay. So, thir- so thirteen million won at, at a bingo hall somewhere. A rather expensive bingo hall. Because <laughs> well, right. I, I must admit, I haven't been watching WCW Saturday Night. You will notice that those those, uh, those parts of TV have disappeared this year. Um, but as I understood it at the time, you know, the original storyline was Darren Dallas Page won it gambling, which is uh, sort of realistic. But yeah, the idea that it was bingo... Like if of if, all the things I could have picked, if Diamond Doll's that good at bingo, why is she following wrestlers to the ring? Surely oh, she's got more oh. to more, more to do do with the world. Go on, Ron. Uh, but, but yeah, these two guys together and all their ridiculousness and the ridiculous angle, it, it it's fun. Uh, Johnny B. Bad with his great sit out power bomb looks fantastic. Diamond Dallas Page, uh, he had a great side neck breaker that he played up to the crowd when in reality he should have just pinned. If that's something that even annoyed uh, Bobby Heenan. I thought that was fun. He pointed out, like, what's this guy doing? Why is he Why is he posing? He needs to you know, win this match. He needs to win this money. Uh, good. Good, not great, but good. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, these two have wrestled each other probably about two dozen times in the last six months. Um, on well, I would assume so. I, I, basically, on the fact they wrestled about four times on pay per view, about three or four times on nitros and and Saturday nights that I've seen. If we extrapolate that over syndicated television, I'm guessing it's a lot. Um, they have great in ring chemistry. They did from the start, so it's not like they've learnt it. Um, they're both one thing that these two are both really good at, and they're actually two of the strongest guys on the roster for is in ring charisma. Um, it's not something that John Bad has ever really been able to transition to his character in promos and things like that but Johnny Bad in the ring is he's people are either already invested in him or more invariably they become invested in him during a match they've done this match so many times now dare I say it as good as it was I'm not being critical of it at all I would say go back to World War 3 and go back to Halloween Havoc I think those two matches were both afforded a little bit more time were actually both a little bit better um, but that's not to be critical they're both they're both very good performers they probably at this point we probably need to end this program as much as I think I could watch these guys wrestle a, a fair bit more for a, for a fair bit longer. Um, a, a very good match. I think if I was, if I was putting together a Frankenstein wrestler in, in terms of, uh, different moves from different performers, I would take Johnny Bad's float over sunset flip from the top rope. Mm. Um, I'd add that to Steve Richards' super kick and Paul Roma's top rope elbow drop. Um, well, that 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 will be the beginning of my uh, my Frankenstein wrestler, um, and yeah, Brian, that finish, um, yeah, Tombstone Piledriver. We've seen it's not the first time we've seen other people, people other than Undertaker, do it in the last few years, but I can't recall someone winning a match with it in a while. But I, I quite liked it because it, it came as a surprise. Yeah, and uh, huh, I, I can't think of any other, other examples of that happening as well. Yeah, I mean, some people have hit it. I've seen, um, I've seen Benoit use it before. I've seen Owen Hart use it before. Uh, I think Two Cold Scorpio uses a variation, but he kind of does a, a tombstone pancake almost. Um, but they all use that move as a transitional move. Uh, I think Benoit may have used it at the New Japan show we covered last August. Um, but no, that, that, that was, that was probably another big positive for me was, you know, one, the, the really excellent transition from, uh, DDP set up for his own tombstone, bad kind of did a, 
a mid-air cartwheel, I guess is a good way of describing it. I think when you see it, you'll understand that. And then kind of stands on his feet and put Paige in it and then did it with his own. Kieran, really good finish, you think? Yeah. I can't... I mean, has Johnny Rudd actually got, like, a finishing move of his own? I can't... I can't actually remember. Um, he's got a few. I mean, he's got the kind of... The, the bad day, which I think... You know, he's got the... Um, He's got a lot of signature moves. I'd agree, though. No, nothing stands out of him as the yeah, one. That, I think that that's uh, because I, actually oh, that's why I was just looking at my notes again. The only thing with bad is that signature move. I was actually surprised when the match finished when it did. I was I was half expecting that to be um, sort of like another near four. I was quite surprised that that's how it ended. But equally, I, 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 I think if you're going to do a move like that, that should end the match. Like, uh, yeah, if you're going to drop so a guy vertically on his head like that, it's we talk about the lack of selling in the first match from the ordinary part. Yeah, yeah. This is the flip side of it, and they they got this right. As I say, very yeah. good match. I would. That all being said, go back to World War Three, go back to Halloween Havoc, and I, I'd argue they have better matches than this. Probably time to wrap up the the, the page bad storyline. I, I think though, uh, we get a promo from the Harlem Heat uh, on the subject of the Road Warriors. Booker T says this ain't 1976, it's 1996. And next up, it's the first of two tag title matches. Obviously, the second one will be the winner of this against the Road Warriors. Uh, so this is Harlem Heat, Booker T and Stevie Ray against Sting and Lex Luger for the tag team titles. Uh, they're teasing philosophical differences between Sting and Luger. Sting fights out of a scissor lock. Luger tags in and unloads on Booker T. Luger tags himself out. Sting doesn't look impressed. Sting rallies with a bulldog after an onslaught from Booker T. Luger tags himself back in. Luger stalls on offense and misses a standing elbow drop. Booker then misses one of his own but spins back to his feet and hits a jumping scissor kick. Stevie Ray hits a nerve hold on Luger, then does a scissor kick of his own. Sting jumps in despite not tagging in. In, in, in brackets in my notes I've got, is that a sign of Sting seeing Luger's point of view? We'll discuss that at the end. Uh, Sting unloads on Booker but then gets sent over the top rope. With the ref distracted, Robo Animal runs out and leathers Ray with a piece of lead. Luger falls on top of him and they win the match. After the match, Oakland is on the ramp with Luger and Sting. Oakland asks Sting if he saw what happens. Sting said he didn't and then says to Luger, I'm sorry I ever questioned you. I'm with the programme. We'll come to that in a minute. That's a, that's an interesting little dynamic. Uh, Brian, what do you think of the match? Uh, pretty good. Uh, to be perfect, let's see here. To be perfectly frank, I, I think Harlem Heat are on like a different level than a lot of the other tag teams. And even though Sting and Luger are main event stars, Harlem Heat just have this whole dynamic. You got Booker T, who's quick. He's got these axe kicks. He's got this scissor kick. He has this breakdancing move that he does that looks fantastic. And Stevie Ray, his older brother, he's the powerhouse. And there's nothing in WCW right now that can compare to these guys. They're so cool. And whenever, uh, I guess, whenever Sting came out, uh, a funny little bit here, Sting's walking out to the ring. They cut to a kid in the front row wearing Sting's face paint and a shirt. And Bobby Heaton immediately points at him out, oh, what an ugly-looking kid. And Shivani responds back, can, can you please leave our fans alone? <laughs> uh, fun match. I, I wish that it, it would have gone a little bit longer. I wish that Harlem Heat would have actually won this and moved on again to see the uh, 
moved on to see them against the Legion of Doom Road Warriors, but you know, it, it is what it is. Yeah, I, I am going to endeavour between this show and the next show to start from where we first started this podcast, mid nineteen ninety three. Um, and attempt to work out the number of WCW tag title matches on pay-per-view that ended in a disputed finish. Um, because it seems to be all of them. Um, go, go on, Karen, what, what are your thoughts on this match? Uh, just, just, just off the back of that, good luck with that, Bob, anyway. Yeah, we'll, we'll yeah, see. I, 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 I would genuinely take a stab <laughs> right now. I haven't looked. I will say 80%. That, that's my prediction. I was going to, I was going to say 73.5, but go on, yeah. Okay. Got what are your thoughts on this match here? Yeah, so, it was okay. I, I just I, any other tag team but Harlem Heat. I, I they were <laughs> on. I, I can't remember if it was their debut or not. The the very first WCW show that I reviewed. I just said they look absolute money, absolute money. They're absolutely. They're, like Brian said, the dynamic between them, and I just wish it was any other tag team. That's why I'm hoping that I'm actually liking, and we'll come on to um, this storyline again, I'm sure, but I really like this Luger-Sting storyline. No matter what the ring work or how limited Luger might be, I actually think I actually joined the storyline. So I'm hoping that, even though Harlem Heat are the ones that had to lose here, I'm hoping that the storyline that they get off the back of it actually goes somewhere and is actually really good. Um, I'd hate to think that Harlem Heat were given sort of this defeat and then whatever, you know, whatever comes off the back of it is, doesn't go anywhere. Do you know what I mean? I just wish, in retrospect, it was anyone else but them because I really, really like Harlem Heat. Yeah, I mean, they, they didn't get beaten outright. I, I suppose the, you know, that they have a, a beef with the Road Warriors that Animal caused them to lose the match. So, you know, it's, it's not a sign they've given up mm. on them. Um, the match itself, uh, I think there was a viewpoint. We've got Sting and Luger wrestling twice. Let's not make this too long. Um, I kind of feel like this is a match that wasn't as good as the sum of its parts. I, I, I will I will echo the sentiments about Harlem Heat. They look great. They're both athletic. They're both different enough in the ring in terms of their in-ring style that I think you can really flesh out these characters. And I think, you know, we we want to talk about WCW trying to be young and exciting and you kind of feel like the Road Warriors at this stage in the game, and maybe it's maybe it's the, the goal, but you kind of feel like the Road Warriors at this stage in the game should be in place to try and get over a team like Harlem Heat. There's still time to do that, um, but I, I don't want to be here in six months' time and still talking about the Road Warriors and, and, and not talking about Harlem Heat, because, you know, I think the time is pretty close with these guys. Um Another thing we'll talk about now, it kind of develops um, in, in the TVs for the rest of the month as well, but I don't think we're going to have time to talk about it the rest of the show, is the dynamic between Sting and Lex Luger. Um, Kieran, I, I found this, this this quite interesting. You know, they've, they've teased some stuff before over the coming months, so we've actually got this babyface tweener tag team, um, but I thought it was significant that we saw Sting at one point jump in, uh, you know, he, he was the non-legal man, he was on the outside, Luger was getting beaten down, and Sting jumped into the ring to help him out, which, as I said in my notes, I, I kind of saw that as, oh, is Sting seeing Luger's point of view? Mm. And then after it, we get him, you know, the interview with Oakland, and he says, I'm sorry I ever questioned you, I'm with the programme, I mean, I won't read too much in that final line but what, what do you think of this dynamic 
Well, I actually, I actually did when Sting actually, because I listened very closely because when you see what's going on in the ring, the, as soon as they went and had sort of the promo afterwards, I was like, oh, hang on, I, you know, I need to listen to this because this could kind of like signify. So I actually did read in. Well, actually, is Sting actually in it? Because the word, like you said, I don't want to get on it, hang on it too much, but the the word you used, program, would suggest that there's something planned here. Um, other than that, I actually, I, I, I'm actually fascinated because not a big fan of Lex Luger at all before, but seeing him do all like these heelish things, um, his expressions, and then obviously on the TV when he's doing all of his joyous jumping up and down wins and, you know, Sting's looking on incredulous. It's actually, I think this is actually going to be something that's worth sticking with. Brian. I, I enjoy this storyline. I mean, it's, it's fairly realistic. I, I know that Sting is this ultra, I don't know how to describe him. He's, he's, he's the Superman of WCW. He is clean cut, just super nice. He, he doesn't cheat. He is a good guy all the way. And like I said, this is something that's realistic because we all have friends who, the, despite what we do in our life, you got friends that are, you know, closer. Uh, I have, we all have good friends who were real close to us who maybe go off on the deep end and do some crazy and stupid things that it doesn't matter what they do. They'll always be your friend. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing here. Like you see Luger doing some underhanded tactics and Sting, he's with it because they're best buds. He's never going to turn on Luger. Well, it's funny you say that. Um, I have, admittedly have only come up with this kind of thought process in the last three minutes, so I take that for what it's worth. Um, but if they're not going to turn Hogan, and they're, they're not, I think they're probably not. I think we've, yeah, we, the, the opportunity with that was really a few months ago before Christmas, and they kind of tease it for a while, showed actually that it might work, and then basically went, ah, no, Hogan, I think, you know, bottled it. Um, Flair is a heel, but, you know, Flair is, is, you know, he's 46 years old, world champion, still Mr. Popular, he's still going to get cheered. I wonder whether there's a thought that, yeah, because the obvious thing here is that eventually Sting and Luger break up, Luger fully turns heel, Sting is the bay face, you have the program. I wonder whether the, the more interesting idea would actually be to turn Sting. Um, I mean, it, you're asking a lot of Luger there in that position as a babyface, certainly. I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. But if we're going to talk about WCW long term, they need heels. They need main event heels. Apparently they're turning the giant. Um, Sting isn't going to be able to get past Hogan. Um, you know, it's an interesting thought. That that would be, yeah, we'll, we'll have to move on here because we, we could be here forever otherwise. But I think it's an interesting thought process that maybe, while the obvious end game for this is we'll have them break up and feud with Sting as the babyface and Luger as the heel, and there's still a very good chance it could go that way, I think the far more interesting proposition would be Sting as the heel and Luger as the babyface. A lot more risky, um, but WCW are a company taking risks right now. Um, and it would be a, a, an interesting move. Uh, but we will, we will move on. Next up, it's One Man Gang versus Conan for the United States title. Gang starts with some heavy strikes on the back of Conan's necks. Conan works some low drop kicks to try and topple him before sending tumbling through the middle ropes onto the steps. 
Conan is on top, choking Conan on... Uh, sorry, One Man Gang is on top, choking Conan on the mat. Conan runs, rallies with some strikes, but Gang knocks him down. The crowd are dead silent. Finally, Conan starts to rally. He jumps off the top and hits a head scissors, then a pair of drop kicks. He goes for a third and then randomly just back bumps. I've no idea what happened there. Uh, Gang goes for a splash, but seems to pull out of the pin. Gang goes for a second rope splash. Conan moves, runs to the top, hits a flip dive, and wins the match. Kieran? Uh, bloody awful. Um, they give most of the match to one man gang. That's kind of a bad way to book it <laughs> to start off with, and it's exactly what you expect. He just sort of punches and sort of goes a lot, and that's about it, really. It was just rubbish. Quite a good impression, that, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, pretty dreadful. I mean, just a complete and absolute dud. Uh, there's nothing really worth discussing in this match beyond Conan's random flopping and some of his moves that he's got. It's just. It looks so sloppy. What what was he doing with that that third drop kick? Like I, he kind of he he, fire, he fires himself off the far ropes and then just back bumps. Like I don't I, know, I, maybe he was he was expecting a, a clothesline, I guess. But but uh, it wasn't like one man gang moved towards him. He just bounced off the far ropes and then threw his shoulders back and landed on the mat. The the, the actual match was so bad that they cut to Steve Grisham. They thought that was more entertaining. Let's cut to I've the got, WWE I'll tell you what was Hard impressive drive. was that, that guy's chin. What's his name? Steve Grissom. My God, you could carve wood on that. Yeah, a guy, a guy with a big chin who's a racing driver. <laughs> might, might be yeah. in the wrong sport. Yeah, th- this was a, a, an awful match. Um, no crowd heat. Um, gang is awful. Conan <laughs> is a guy who, the more I watch him, the more confused I am about to whether he's any good. We may have truly found, like, the the yardstick wrestler. We may have truly found the guy that, if you put him in the ring, like, you can work out how good someone is by putting them in the ring with Conan. Because if you're a good wrestler, you'll get a good match out of Conan, and if you're not, you won't. Like, we, we saw Conan last month, or, or Kieran, you were with us on the ECW show, where yep. he wrestled Sandman. And he tried, and the match fell, fell to pieces after yep. a few minutes. And on the WCW show, we had Conan against Psychosis. Now, Psychosis is a Mexican, uh, a Mexican high flyer who can do some highly impressive stuff. That match was the best match of the night. The more I watch of Conan, the more confused I am as to whether he's any good. Um, but equally, I think One Man Gang is probably down there with Sandman. I just, I guess there is the thought process that, and not that Conan necessarily holds any machinations about being the best wrestler in the world, but I guess if, if I, I would think that someone akin to a Bret Hart or a Shawn Michaels would be able to get a servitor match out of One Man Gang, Conan couldn't. Uh, that works his detriment slightly. Let's move on. We get an interview with the Road Warriors. Animal says that he, it was an eye for an eye after what happened on Nitro. Next up, the Taskmaster with Jimmy Hart against Brian Pillman in a respect, I respect you strap match. Pillman charges out, starts whipping Sullivan, who basically grabs onto leg, his leg and holds on for dear life. I think they were telling the story that Pillman stole the strap before the match, which is why he ran out and had it with him. Uh, after the altercation continues, Pillman grabs hold of the microphone, then says, I respect you, book a man, and then just walks off. Uh, uh, Kieran? 
What was this? Um, in light of everything else, it was quite well done. Pillman isn't, like I said to you, I said to you earlier in the week, Pillman is an absolute mentalist. Um, but he's absolutely fascinating. What was it well done though? It, like, like, if you're, if you're sat in the crowd, are you not just going, what the hell was that? It kind of, in light of what the, I suppose on the night, it would seem a bit like a bit of a, um, well, coin of phrase, a bit of a clusterfuck. Um, but in terms of it actually, you know, there's only a few people in on it. I thought it was, it was quite well done. I don't really know if I think it's well done or not because I just find the whole Pillman thing so fascinating and obviously his relationship to Sullivan so fascinating. I kind of liked it. Uh, right. Does that, make, does that make me a bad person, or I don't think it makes you a bad person? <laughs> <laughs> We're not discussing this on moralistic grounds. Go, on, Brian. I was actually looking forward to this match. I mean, we saw how Pillman and Sullivan were acting on Nitro. I was expecting a lot from these two getting together, and it's just it, there wasn't anything there. I mean. Katie barred the door and it gets out of control immediately. And then it just, oh, what, well, this is over. Let's all go home, I guess. Yeah, all very strange. Um, I, I, I'll say some of my wider points on this for me on the discussion later in the show. But they've done, you know, there, there is the idea. I, I, I just wonder whether, you know, the, you know Bischoff, Sullivan and Pillman are putting this together like, oh yeah, Sullivan, you're going to cut a promo on Saturday night and you're going to snap a pencil everyone's going to understand that reference. And then on Sunday, Pillman, you're going to go out there, you're going to grab on the mic and say, I respect you, Booker Man. And everyone's going to go, oh my God, he said the word Booker Man. He's referencing the fact Kevin Sullivan's the, the, the lead booker of WCW. I just kind of think that it's like, you know, it's not like Pillman said that and the crowd just gasped. It was just nothing. Like, I... I not not long enough to be anything of of any discussable note in terms of a match. It was the same. Again, I use the phrase shoot grappling. I, I'm misusing that. It was the same uncoordinated kind of you know roll around on top of each other brawl they had on Nitro for what it was. All a bit weird. It gets a bit weirder. Uh, so anyway, Pillman walks off. And then about 15 seconds later, Jimmy Hart walks out with Ar Anderson, who's wearing a, a dress shirt and shorts. Um, now in theory, and we don't know how many people were in on this whole thing, um, I- I'm kind of working on the basis that it was Sullivan, Bischoff, Pillman, and probably a couple of other people, but not people, i.e. the boys, the wrestlers. So Pillman goes backstage, and everyone's like, whoa, we, what, what the fuck are we gonna do here? So apparently, like, heart, heart, they just like go, right, go on Jimmy, get out there. Uh, Anderson goes out there, and then they just start wrestling a match. So anyway. Uh, Sullivan issues uh, a challenge to Arn to take the match himself. The crowd pop for that. Ta- and so next up, it's the Taskmaster with Jimmy Hart against Arn Anderson in a respect uh, in an I respect you strap match. Anderson starts unloading on Taskmaster, choking with the strap. Taskmaster gets the strap between Anderson's legs, yanks on it, and well, I think you know the rest is Arn crotches himself. Arn chokes the Taskmaster in the ropes, then continues the attack. Sullivan gets on top until Ric Flair walks out. Flair says to Taskmaster, 
come on, it's you, it's on. And the match just ends in a no contest, it teams. Flair says the Horsemen and the Dungeon are a team with united goals, with Flair taking on Savage and Giant taking on Hogan later tonight. Um, Brian, I, I, I guess if, if we give credit to, if we give parlance to everyone involved for the idea that nobody knew that it was going to happen, so they, they wing this on the fly for all intents and purposes. Did this work? I mean, just for them to come, for this to come together on the spot like that, you know, I'll give it five stars. But the match itself, the way it goes on, just to have Flair to show up and call it off, it was just so confusing. And just another disappointing match. Complete dud. Kieran? Yeah, Arn's shorts were quite impressive. I thought they were all right. <laughs> yeah, they were. They were like like a burgundy purple number. I thought they were quite good. Um, the quote-unquote match was ruddy awful, but I suppose what, what else can you expect when nobody's in on the bit that comes before it? So, like Brian said, it's quite impressive that we got any semblance of anything, I suppose, but what we got, I just, yeah, it, nothing. Yeah, um... Again, we don't know who knew what, other than Taskmaster knew most of it, obviously couldn't really let on. Um, it did make sense though, that the flare bit did make sense, um, in that he came out, came up with a, you know, a very creative reasoning as to why they shouldn't be fighting and then said, look, you know, we, we, we've got common goals later tonight, it fed in later on. I suppose we'll give them that. I just think the whole segment, you just look back at it and go, what the fuck was that? Like, I mean, even, like, even if you know, like, even if we approach this and go, okay, we know that this is a storyline, I still don't know that it makes sense. I still don't know that Pillman's, you know, having this, like, 90 second roll around on the floor and then Pillman going, I respect you, Booker Man. I still don't know it was a good idea, but we will discuss that later. Um, where are we next? We get an interview with Jimmy Hart, the giant. Giant says all that is evil is inside of him. And next up, it's the Road Warriors, Animal and Hawk versus Sting and Lex Luger for the WCW Tag Team titles. And as I referenced earlier, essentially, obviously, if they had 12 minutes planned for that Pillman match, uh, they used Pillman Sullivan took about 90 seconds and Arnson wrestled him for about three and a half minutes. So in their run sheet, they're about eight minutes short. Um, and in the next two matches, they try and fill those eight minutes. So basically, Lex Luger doesn't want to wrestle. He walks back to the back. Sting goes after him and has a conference with him. The announcers debate whether it's a ploy. We get a delay. Luger takes off again. And then we finally get going with a drop kick from Hawk to Sting. Hawk goes for a neck breaker but loses it. We get an odd exchange of attempted technical wrestling before Hawk rocks in a regal stretch. Luger gets in but doesn't seem to want to leave the corner. Luger runs into a big boot as Animal takes control with a power slam. Hawk takes over and hits a lovely clothesline in the corner. An animal drives him into the guardrail. Luger regains control and gets back to gets the tag back to Sting. Sting and Animal crash into each other. Animal goes down. Sting bounces off of the ropes and then falls on top of Animal, headbutting him in the groin. Luger hits an atomic drop on Animal. Hawk approaches and Luger backs off. Get him back, he says. Sting goes for a big top rope splash, but Animal gets his knees up and tags in Hawk. Hawk goes to work Luger in the corner. Oh, sorry, Hawk goes to work on Luger with a standing leg drop and a standing fist drop. Stink hits a big splash on Animal, then goes to lock in a scorpion deathlock. Hawk bounces off the far ropes and runs him over the clothesline. Sting rolls up Hawk, but he just runs him over again and Animal locks in a sleeper. 
The match breaks down with Luger going after Animal. Sting hits a suplex. Animal no-sells it. Animal hits a suplex. Sting no-sells it. Heenan says, it's reached the point where they can't hurt each other, which is one way of putting it. The match just breaks down with all four men in the ring. The match then just ends in a double count out with two separate brawls outside of the ring up the aisleway. Kieran? Yeah, I'm... I'll go back to, I think it's encapsulated, but both something you and Brian have said, it's, it alludes to what are they going to be doing with the Road Warriors going forward? Because in this, they just felt so laboured and slow. Everything was just nothing. It never, the match never really started for me because I, I like the stalling at the beginning to a certain extent, because I thought, well, it's coming off the back of what Sting said, and I was thinking at the time, maybe Sting's in on this, and it's all just one big ploy. But then the match itself, the, just the Road Warriors, there's just real deterioration here for me. I just I just couldn't get into the match at all, and I actually hated the ending, absolutely hated it. And it's kind of what I feared. I kind of wish that this second match was the Harlem Heat one. I realised it sort of can't be for storyline or whatever, but... Yeah, I, I didn't like this match at all, Bob. Brian? Complete agreeance with Kieran here. I mean, just the boring match. Just it never really goes to that next level to be entertaining. Just kind of sputters out. There, there was so much potential here. But we saw kind of shades of this on that Nitro before where it... There's nothing with the Road Warriors at this point. Like they, they're just barely getting by on fumes. And star power. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess they are still big stars at this point, right? I mean, yeah, they're, they're still pop. I mean, that's the thing. They, they, this was their second match of the night, as they referenced in the um, in the main event report. They, they came out early on and got a really big pop. I suspect, you know, two and a half hours later, the crowd were a bit flatter by this point. Um, but yeah, like if they didn't have star power, they wouldn't have much else. And dare I say, they probably wouldn't have gigs in WCW. But I suppose, I suppose that, that's what we can't really say that. We can say about most of the WCW roster at this stage. Um, but yeah, it's, it was a poor match. Um, uh, you know, that the, they wrestled a match at the start of the night, but it wasn't particularly long. Sting and Luger wrestled earlier in the show, wasn't particularly long. I don't think we can attribute fatigue to any of this. Um, you know, the match, even with all the Lugas posturing at the start, wasn't that long. And I guess to a point they thought, well, look, you know, this isn't going to be a match that's going to crescendo to a conclusion, so we better, we might as well try and waste time at the start rather than extend the match. But the Luger, you know, stalling at the start really didn't help it. Because it was kind of like, it, it, you know, it didn't really fit the story they were trying to tell. It kind of just made the match just start off in a really dull way. Um, the action was okay. But again, like if, if the Road Warriors didn't have star power, they wouldn't have a lot else. The, the you know, Road Warriors and Luger, that there's not a lot of wrestling ability in that. You know, those aren't the those are the kind of people you want to pair with others. Um, and Stingy is good, but he's no miracle worker. It it just didn't click. The ending was disappointing. That they're, they're going to have a match uh, uncensored. Uh, I'm guessing that's going to be some kind of no disqualification, some sort of stipulation match. We might follow and get a winner in, in, in some form of this. Um, but yeah, I, that they like, WCW like the Rob Royals with their star power, but I think at some point they're going to have to go, yeah, but they might be dragging down the show quality. Um, but we will see. 
Next up, me and Gene Oakland is backstage with Woman and Ric Flair. Don't you get it? Hogan's master plot has failed again. A little while ago, a very feeble attempt was made at turning the taskmaster against Art Anderson. Wrong! It didn't work, Hogan. No chemistry. Now, the gauge goes down. The building gets dark. Woman and nature boy walk side by side. Walk into the cage. Guy hit the music. Here comes Randy Savage. Elizabeth under his arm. And you know what he knows? In the back of his mind, he's talking out of the side of his mouth. He's saying, Liz, oh, this ain't right. I got a face flare. And tonight, I'm going to bleed. I'm gonna sweat, and Flair might take you home. Not good odds. Savage, call on it. Tonight, blood, sweat, tears, and a world title change. Right, woman? Yes, that's right, Nate. Woman. Woman. Oh, woman! Woo! If you should win, do I dare ask, uh, Mr. Flair, will there be a little ride on Space Mountain? <laughs> well, think about it. I'll have woman on my left <laughs> and Liz on my right. But I won't tell anybody who I'll be with tonight. Woo! Thank you. After a commercial, Flair is joined by Oakland. Uh, sorry, after a commercial, Oakland is joined by Miss Elizabeth and Randy Savage. And we come back to the arena and Michael Buffer is on hand for the in-ring introductions. And it says in Ric Flair with Woman versus Randy Savage with Miss Elizabeth in a cage match for the WCW World Heavyweight title. A fan throws Flair at Hogan Bandana. Flair stomps on it. Another fan then hands Savage a Slim Jim. Flair gets on the mic. He offers Miss Elizabeth the chance to walk over here and kiss a real man. As with the prior match, they're massively stalling for time. Savage tries to attack Flair, who just returns to the outside. The bell finally rings and Savage goes after Flair in the corner. Flair reverses it and nails a chop. Flair rams Savage off of the cage. Savage falls awkwardly between the ropes and ends up getting hung up. Then Flair just levels the referee and kicks him. Doesn't really seem to go anywhere that spot. Savage goes for a backslide but there's no one to count. The referee gets uh, gets out bloody quick, mind. Savage levels Flair with multiple clotheslines. Flair takes Savage down with a back elbow and he's on top. Flair goes to the top. Savage pops up and drops him to the mat. Savage then locks in a ropey figure four. Flair almost gets pinned. And, um, oh, and if you think Woman's Howling was limited to ECW, you'd be wrong. Savage hits a body slam and scales the cage to the top. Flair pops up. Savage goes for an axe handle. Flair nails him with a ring hard on, uh, with a hand on the way down. Flair rams Savage head into the cage again. Flair locks in a figure four of his own. Savage rides in pain. Flair locks in the hole for so long, the ref actually pulls Flair off of the submission, which, you know, given that Flair, you know, backed him earlier, I guess he's fair enough. Savage slowly regains some control, driving Flair's head off the cage twice. The howling begins all over again. Shivoni compares the stars of woman and the silent Miss Elizabeth. Savage goes for a ten punch, but Flair converts into an atomic drop before doing the Flair flop. Flair attempts an escape. Savage pulls his trunks down and we see the moon over Florida. Flair levels Savage, then crotches himself on the ropes and falls on Savage. The ref counts two. Savage kicks out. The bell briefly rings, but the match continues. Flair low blows Savage. 
Flair scales the top again. Surridge pulls down his trunks again. Dusty exclaims, for those of you who didn't see that on the other side. The door comes open with Surridge tapping Flair. The ref attempts to close it. We cut to a wide shot, which may have something to do with the fact that Flair is bleeding. Woman goes to throw some powder into Sarah's eyes, who ducks. Elizabeth opens the door, hands Flair her shoe. Flair kicks out of the pin, nails Sarah with the shoe, and regains the world heavyweight title. Just to quickly fill in what I remember to say it before we get into the discussion, uh, the interesting bit surrounding this um, Flair blading, and it happened before um, all this news broke, uh, we do reference it in part three, so if you want to hear a, a, a more thorough, prepared version of what I'm about to say here, you can hear that in the ECW news. Uh, boxer, I think Tommy Morrison, tested positive for HIV, uh, about, f- uh, and, sorry, announced uh, the fact that he tested positive for HIV about four or five days after this show. Uh, and there's a thought process that state athletic commissions are going to get far more involved with predominantly boxing promotions amongst other things in terms of how they test their athletes and what they test them for and the fact that certain you know boxing you know if blood is involved people are going to want to be a lot more um stringent on it ecw's response to that was to ban blood outright um and again this happened beforehand so you know we can't really criticize wcw but it's an interesting thing to note in the ongoing story i thought i'd get that out of the way there um brian what do you think of this match I thought it was the match of the night, even if they were traveling down a well. Hold on, got a cat attack on microphone. <laughs> a uh, well-traveled path. I mean, there's a lot of the spots here in this match that are just standard Ric Flair stuff. A lot of stuff that's standard Randy Savage stuff. But I enjoyed it. It was actually a bit surprising to see Liz turn on Savage, even though. It might have been telegraphed pretty heavily. Pretty heavily, certainly. I would agree with that, Kieran. Yeah, I um, I didn't really get into it the first time I watched it because I think Brian used a good phrase where it's like a well-worn path because you've seen it before. You kind of expect like a four Virgin on a five-star match every time with these two because they are just so good together. Um, but the second time I actually I actually um quite enjoyed it. Um. Could probably do with less Ric Flair's ass, if I'm honest. Yeah, I don't, th- I don't really. I don't know there's any see... historical correlation between the amount of cheek that we see from Ric Flair and the quality of any of his matches. I don't think. He needs to, if, if we are Bob, he needs to sort out his tan lines. Well, that's true. It was horrific. But other than that, I just thought it was a really good match. It was just, just seconded to the Johnny B. Bad, um, DDP match, but it was the next best match. And like I said, after like the one man gang road warriors thing, it was just, it was, it's like night and day. So overall, I really enjoyed it, but just not as much as the Johnny B. Bad match. No, uh, I, I, this was very good, less for the, uh, you know, to, to, to kind of contradict a little bit what I said about, you know, the road warriors, less perhaps for the in-ring action and more just because it was kind of two of WCW's major stars in a major match. Um, 
I wouldn't say exceeded expectations. Um, you know, you go back to the Great American Bash for last year to kind of see what Flair and Savage can do when they're both fit and they're both motivated. And at this stage in the game, as much as we might only be seven or eight months removed, at their age, that is a long seven or eight months. and A lot can degrade in that time in terms of performance, particularly while Savage is carrying an injury. Um, the match was good, though. Uh, there was enough histrionics, enough stuff going on where it was like, you know, there's there's enough to keep people interested. The action was good. Uh, I agree with Brian. You know, the turn of uh, Miss Elizabeth, you know, it, it wasn't exactly hard to see coming. And, and the crowd didn't particularly react in a way that they they didn't see it coming either. Um, but I guess it made sense, if nothing else. Um, Kieran, f- five title changes in five months, though. It's... Um, I don't think we, I don't think anyone could blame us for being a bit confused with WCW's yeah, direction right now. Don't, I actually forgot to mention about what had happened to the US title and about, you know, what a nosedive that's taken, but don't, don't hot dog the, you know, don't, don't do that to your world championships. Do you mean hot potato? Hot dog is, uh, I'm not, not aware of that being a, uh, it's in sporting vernacular. It's because I'm not Giovanni says that during the Harlem Heat match, I have it written here on my notes, he says something about hot-dogging, and it makes zero yes. sense in. Yes! Well, well, well done, Brian, for saving Kieran's ass for that one. Cheers, Brian, I'll, get, I'll send you £5, pound, mate. I was no going to say, he may, Brian may have made that up, but go on, Kieran. <laughs> but, yes, but don't do it to your main belt. I mean, don't do it to any belt, If you, if from personally speaking, I don't like to see it, but with the main belt, there's no one to sort of get behind or get invested in, you know, either way, whether heel or face. Um, I kind of look at something like uh, on the on the flip side, though, you could have something in ECW like Sandman, where sort of that one guy's got it for ages and it gets a bit tiresome. But doing changing it this amount of times is just doing no favours, mainly to the belt, but a lot to the the roster and the talent. I think. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> You don't have to have massively long title reign after massively long title reign. It, it, it's more a case of the status quo is the wrong word. The kind of it, it should be long title reigns unless you've got a good reason not to. And yeah, see, if there is a good reason to do a few switches in a few months, do it. Like, yeah, you know, I've got no problem with that. It just at the moment it just seems like they're changing the title just for the sake of it. It almost felt like. They got the, they wanted to get the belt to Flair, so they got the belt on Flair, and then they thought, well, what can we do to pop a rating on the, the Nitro after the Royal Rumble? Oh, I know, let's have, have Flair win the, uh, Savage win the title back off Flair. And then this month, they're just writing that wrong by having Flair win the title back again. I, I guess we can say it made sense in that, it, you know, the Miss Elizabeth turn had a lot more impact given that Flair was winning the title back versus necessarily him retaining it. Um, so I think there's something in that. Uh, Brian, your thoughts on the title situation? It it definitely does come across as des- desperate desperate maneuvers by the heads of WCW. In, in this particular case, I think it's kind of, I, I don't know, just the way the ending happened, the way the finish a- occurred. Are we to believe that Miss Elizabeth's shoe is just this lead pipe base, uh, equivalent? <laughs> Yes, no, yes, we are. Like, the of course amount, we are, Brian. The amount yeah. of high heels shoes that have been involved in, in, in WCW match finishes in the last month and a half, it's been about four of them. You've never been hit by one, Brian, have you? Well, I guess, I, I, I guess not. 
what 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 if I just don't remember. What what if it's the what if it's the the female version of the loaded glove? What if it's the the loaded high heel shoe? Like the stiletto parts are made of lead. See now that'd be a that'd be an ingenious way of getting a you know an illegal object involved in a match. But yes, that is a a crutch that they've used about three times in the last month on Nitro twice I think and here as well. Karen Brown. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's all I really had on that one. In, in terms of just them changing the title so often, though, is it a good thing? Uh, probably not, but, I mean, I, I'm enjoying it. I mean, it, it is Ric Flair, Randy Savage, and Hulk Hogan. I mean, there's a an obvious main event club that, uh, or the ones with the title, I guess with the Giant, too, he's thrown in there a while back. But still, I mean... They're your stars. I, I'm okay with it now. I, we'll see where it goes. Yeah, uh, but this is the title change I don't have a problem with. With all the storyline stuff and all the thing they want to do, what they want to set up with uncensored, with with Savage having you know, more of a reason to be pissed off. I think I think that's fine. It's just more the two in between time where it perhaps would have made more sense if Savage should have been champion just from you know the end of November right the way through until now, and then he'd have lost it. It might have packed a bit more punch, I suppose. And anyway, Hogan comes out after the match with a banjo over his eye, wielding a chair. This this whole thing is shot from a wide angle uh, because Flair's bleeding. Flair manages to escape with Arn and the wo- and woman, and he's the new champion. Mean Gene Oakland is with Hulk Hogan. Hogan says, as far as he is concerned, Macho Man and him are on their own. Back in the arena, Michael Buffer claimed the giant literally returned from the dead at Halloween Havoc, which I would take umbrage with, but it, of all the explanations, it's probably the one that makes the most sense. Uh, anyway, we move on. It's the main event. It's the giant with the Taskmaster and Jimmy Hart versus Hulk Hogan inside of a steel cage. The giant looks absolutely massive in comparison to the cage. It's barely taller than him when he has his arms stretched up in the air. We start with audible Hogan sucks chance. Hogan comes out of the blocks hard, biting Giant on the forehead and choking him with his wrist tape. He then does a 15 punch in the corner along with another bite. He then chokes him with his shirt, but goes for a body slam and gets cut off. Giant takes control, strangling Hogan with his shirt. Giant goes for a big standing elbow, but Hogan rolls out of the way and hulks up. Hogan goes for a body slam, but collapses under the weight. They open the cage door. Hogan grabs hold of the leg and stops Giant escaping. Giant hits a backbreaker, then stretches his knee across, Hogan across his knee. Giant rams Hogan's head into three sides of the cage while going for a bear hug. Hogan rallies again but gets cut off. Giant hits a sloppy choke slam. For what it's worth, there's no referee in this match. Hogan jumps up and starts hulking up. Giant gets near the open door but for some reason walks towards Hogan. Hogan bounces him off the cage four, five, six, seven times. He hits a big boot. Giant stays up. Hogan then signals to the crowd for a body slam. He hits it and the crowd pop. Then the leg drop and a second and a third. Amazingly, after all of that, Giant just sat up. He follows Hogan up uh, up the top rope. They exchange slaps. Hogan then sends him tumbling to the mat. Hogan climbs over the cage and wins the match. We'll come to the post-match angle in a second. Kieran, what do you think of this match? Oh, it's just the typical, I've seen, you've seen this sort of match before, you know the way it's gonna go, it goes the way, oh. it just bored, it just bored me to tears because I knew exactly what was gonna happen. It, I've just got, I've got nothing else really Bob, I just didn't like it at all, I don't, I don't, I'm not a massive fan of Hogan at all, Um I didn't even think the Giant got over that well, 
Um, I'd have preferred it if it wasn't if that match wasn't in a cage and they could have done some stuff on the outside to maybe give the Giants some you know some more stuff to do. But overall, I just didn't enjoy it at all, mate. Brian, I completely agree here. This is just a boring, boring match, and I, this is something, something you guys talk about a lot on this show uh, regarding Hogan. He is such a weird character. Uh, the crowd's chanting, he sucks. He's a heel. I mean, he wrestles he, like a heel. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but there are people out there still with ho- the Hulkster shirts, the tie-dye Hulkster shirts, which actually look pretty cool. I wish I could uh, find one of these. Um, <laughs> but biting the giant in the corner, the back break, I mean, there's, it, it's such a bizarre juxtaposition of this character, you know, where Hogan is compared to his earlier WCW run to his earlier WWF run, and yet everyone is, I mean, in his mind, I guess he's the good guy. I guess. I guess. Um, yeah. Um, I don't think I dislike this match quite as much as you two did, but I think more in the sense that I, I would disagree with Kieran. I, I think the cage match added a lot to it. I mean, we, we saw at Halloween Havoc, they had an okay match, probably a little bit worse than that. Um, but the cage gave them a lot of crutches and a lot of things that they could lean on in terms of spots they could do that, that broke up the monotony of the action. The Giant is an impressive worker, but he has no transitions at the moment. Mm. It's just a series of big moves that he's learnt to do competently and Hogan's not the guy that can drag him through a good match. So it's just kind of there and there's no there's yeah, no flow, there's no drama, there's no, you know, toing and froing. It's just a, it's like a training match. It's probably the best way of describing it. It's as if there's someone at the side of the ring calling spots and yeah, you know, they go, "Okay, but go for a body slam, cut him off. Right, you've done that. Right, giant, go for a backbreaker and stretch him over your knee." It's kind of like that. There's no it's not a match that flows very well. Go on, Kieran. Yeah, it just, it, like I said, it just, the giant, it just feels like a checklist, which goes, which goes back to, you know, you saying about it being a training match. It just feels like a tick box exercise, which is kind of how Hogan has always had his matches booked. You know, it has to go that certain way that we all know about, especially against when it's like a, you know, a, a giant or whatever. It doesn't matter who, it doesn't matter who it's been in the past or who it is now. You just know how it's going to go. And it, like you said, it doesn't help with the fact of how um, he's not. This thing with the giant is, it's. I've I've wrote the word limited, but I I don't think he is. I don't think he is, which annoyed me even more. It well, just he's like, only wrestled like a dozen matches probably at this stage. I mean, it, it was about Halloween Havoc was like his third match. Um, right. no, he's done some stuff on Nitro since, and I know he's done syndicated tapings and things like that. Maybe a hmm. dozen's undercutting it a bit, but in his development. As a performer, he is still in his infancy. Yeah, like I said, I don't. I, don't, I think limited is the wrong word. I just, I just think he he could have done a lot more. But I th- think, like you said, it, it it felt almost like just like a tick box exercise. This match, just like Nitro Taskmaster is on hand post match for the attack. Hogan cuts him off, pushes Taskmaster into the cage with his chair and goes after him. Out comes Meng, who gets hit by a chair. Out come Morris, Shark, Zodiac and One Man Gang. Hogan cleans house with a chair. Giant wanders off, but out comes Loch Ness. Giant haystacks. He gets hurled back by the Dungeon of Doom and everyone else at ringside, presumably, and I, I, I actually think this is true, uh, because he wouldn't have been able to get through the cage door. That was gen... <laughs> Oh, you think I'm joking? Oh, like, you, you think I'm, you think I'm joking? It, but not, not just the door, but the problem was that because immediately after oh, the door is the turnbuckle. I don't think he'd get through. So basically, right. that, 
<laughs> You're right, Bob. Like, that's I think, exactly... I think that was it. So, uh, the, the, only, oh, uh, the only other option they had would have been to lift up the cage, and presumably they didn't trust the ring to do that. So, 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 but, but the angle didn't go anywhere. Like, the, well, he hasn't appeared on Nitro, he, uh, well, he has appeared on Nitro since, but he hasn't oh. interacted with Hogan since. So, you thought they were building this big kind of showdown, and Rock Ness just kind of waddles out to ringside, and then everyone holds him back, so he doesn't have to have an excuse for climbing the ring. And the weird thing was, why would you hold him back? Like, if you think about that, like, like, surely the whole point is we sent terrible. out all of our guns terrible. and Hogan's run them off. If Loch Ness wants involved, send him in. <laughs> obviously, obviously, like, as I said, I literally think the whole thing was the cage right. is too close to the turnbuckle. He won't be able to get in or it might be a struggle. Let's not let him try it. Brian, what do you think of this? I, I was waiting for us to get into this conversation because to me, this is the highlight of the pay-per-view. It's not even the match. It's the highlight. <laughs> I agree. Hogan I agree. Taking on nine different men with one still chair and, and winning. But he didn't get to take on Loch Ness. So, you know. Uh, it, I, what was the storyline reason that, that they were scared of Hogan with his still chair and, I forgot what the announcers say. They they play it up as a well. Hogan fended off all these other guys. We can't let Loch Ness go in there by himself. He'll get you know decimated. But I mean, it, it utter utter ridiculousness. Uh, trashy fun. That's a good way to describe this. Cartoonish trashy fun would be the word I would add, Kieran. Oh, God, this is. <laughs> I can't, it's just, Bob, you've, you've completely wrecked me now, I don't know where I am, because that is exactly why he couldn't, <laughs> get through the fucking door, but God, Hogan basically tickling about ten men with a chair was just, I, I was at, I was absolutely look, 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 Those chair shots are softer than his big boots, and his big Good boots don't God. look like <laughs> He just, he, he like goes, oh, there's one for you, there's one, it was like, what? Why bother? If you're gonna do like protect, if you're gonna like protect people, hit them on the back with it. What you? Why are you just fannying about with it? Oh, and then Loch Ness. Oh, you've destroyed me with the Loch Ness thing. Yeah. Um. Yeah. A, a, a segment that it was I terrible. I, it was terrible. I, I think the idea was this was meant to be this brilliant showdown, but Loch Ness just waddles out, and then everyone kind of holds him back, and my first thought was, he ain't getting in that fucking cage door. Like, my first thought was, because my first thought was, I, w- I want to see him try and get in, because I don't think he's going to make it. And then they started to hold him back, and I'm like, ah, I get it now, that's why. And, yeah, I, I, I think a lot of people probably thought that, and I don't know that this ending segment went the way they were hoping it would. They must have, did they never like do anything? I suppose, no, they wouldn't bring the cage down to like go through, I don't suppose they'll go through that ending, will they? Rehearse it in a way, I suppose. No, no, I I don't get the, like, I I think they knew that. I think the entire story was, send Loch Ness out there. But he can't get through the, oh, so the, oh, so the, 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 him getting through the door, they knew. Oh, I assume so, yeah, because otherwise he would have tried, wouldn't he? Uh, oh. I mean, I, I, I suppose that the, the third, perhaps slightly funnier option would be that Loch Ness wanted it and Taz Aston went, this ain't going to fucking work when they're out there. So it's like, <laughs> don't, let's not try this, let's not ruin another angle. I wish he'd tried to climb the cage now and get over the top. That oh, was my God. other thought. That was God, my other thought. I think I wouldn't have made this, I wouldn't have made this review. Just, if that just, happened. just got Meng and Zodiac trying to give, give him a leg up. Give him a boost. <laughs> 
that would have been that would have been like that, that would have been an amazing end to the show. Would have been like Mate getting like a, a face full of like Lock Monster's leg, trying to lift him up over the couch. Oh, man alive! It, I, I just I've just had this mental image of Loch Ness grabbing the side of the cage and trying to get on top of it, yet the whole cage itself just flipping <laughs> over, toppling over. This cartoonish man. It's like a yeah, it's like a Roadrunner cartoon. Yeah. Um. I, I, I don't think they meant for this final segment to be so comedic, um, but but that's how it came across, and that's what happens when you bring a guy over who's like legitimately six hundred pounds from the UK. Fuck knows how he got on the plane, uh, but that's that's for another that's for another day. Um, but yeah, a I, I imagine they wrote that out and went, "This is going to be a great fucking final." <laughs> Hogan clears house for everyone else. Everyone's like on the edge of their seats waiting for this big showdown and then we'll send them home disappointed because a lot less gets held back because they don't want to get him in there. And I think a lot of people would have gone, yeah, there's another reason you did that. Anyway, um, Brian, your overall thoughts on this show and a score rating out of 10. Ooh, score rating out of 10. You know what? I'll give this a solid 6 out of 10. I I did enjoy watching it. There was a lot of just oddball choices. Like you said, the, the fact that Giant versus Hogan ended this pay-per-view, you know, that it headlined over a Ric Flair versus Randy Savage match. I mean, that's just utter, utter ridiculousness. But, uh, yes, 6 out of 10. Kieran? Right. In light of the Loch Ness news, um, in my heart, I want to give this, like, 10 out of 10. Like one of the best things I've ever seen. No, in my no, life. No, come on, come on, come on, come on. Let's, but no, let, but no. Let, let's but, treat the show as it was presented, not not as the comedy we've added after it. I like this. But no, seriously, in my head, I, I would I would say it was a couple of good matches, some really like bad stuff. So I'm going to go into I'm going to go five out of ten, Bob. I, 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 I'm with Brian. I'll give it a six. Uh, this is this is by no means a, uh, a great show. You know, you wouldn't have got this far and, and thought otherwise, or, or, or thought that. Um, but I, I sat through a lot of really bad WCW pay per views over the last couple of years. This wasn't one of those shows. Um, it it was one of those shows where they they distributed the star power very well. For a first time in a long time, the f- the, the final two matches felt like big deals and they haven't had that you know you might have to go back a year for the last time they truly had a big fight field with hogan and vader at super bowl um in 95 like this i i had that oh my god it's you know savage and flair in a cage big deal hogan and giant in the cage dare i say it big deal kieran i i I disagree with the idea that the cage took away i think it added a lot to it and and it covered up a lot of things um there's a really good johnny bad ddp match I, i i don't think those two could wrestle a bad match the opener is fun even if you want to look at it you can cut a lot of holes in it and the stuff in the middle it's you know other than conan and one man gang which i hope we never see again everything else is is good and even when it's not there's star power involved and that's one thing they struggled with in the past we we've often had taskmaster against you know uh like dave sullivan and it's been like shit match no star power at least in this case, it was like Sting and Lex Luger against, you know, Harlem Heat. Not a great match, but it's Sting and Lex Luger. There's star power there. They appear later on against the Road Warriors. Not a great match, but the star power. That probably added a couple of points onto this, so I'll, I'll give it a 6 out of 10. Well, Eric, I like to have our television cameras follow, follow us if we could. I had planned on talking 
to once again the WCW heavyweight champion for the 13th time, the Nature Boy Ric Flair. However, I use the word, well, I don't want to say it really. His accomplices from last night are woman and you, you surprised me to say the least, Elizabeth. I had no idea that it would turn out this way. Well, Gene, you know, Randy promised that last night someone was leaving the building on a gurney. Well, it may have taken us all night, but Ric Flair is a man of his word. Leaving on a gurney. Leaving on a gurney. Leaving on a gurney. The Nature Boy, Ric Flair, 13th time. Just, just taking a little catnap. You know, it's not easy being Ric Flair. It's not easy being a nature boy. And let me tell you, for those of you that don't understand what has happened, we now have woman on our right and Miss Woo, by God, Elizabeth on our left. And we also just happened to be for the 13th time, the reigning world heavyweight champion. So we can dance all night. Dance all night. Oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Ooh, Ric Flair, what ooh. about next week? The cat is out of the bag. You have got a mandatory title defense against Randy Savage ah. right here on Nitro. And I can't wait anytime I have an opportunity. Come here, girls. What is, what is anytime. this? Anytime. Follow me, Gene. Anytime I have an opportunity. To walk the aisle, to style and profile, to be the nature boy, to fly in Learjets, to ride in long limousines, and to talk to the girls about Space Mountain all night long. You gotta love it. You gotta love it. But, Savage, Hogan, in a serene moment, let me just say that sometimes, sometimes only a woman can say things as eloquently as they need to be heard. What is he talking about, Elizabeth? Elizabeth? Yes. The floor is yours, darling. Come over here, woman. Yes, I have something to say. For seven years, I had to walk behind Randy, sit in the corner, and never open my mouth. Well, when I left, I took half of everything, half the money, half the property. But that was nothing, because last night, I took it all. Wait a minute here. What she wants to say. I know. That that belt was the most important thing to Randy. And he prides himself on living on the edge. Well, he's over the edge. And looking up at the nature boy. Me, Gene, to sum it all up as we walked through the fairgrounds of Tampa, Florida Expo. I saw a guard say, oh my God, what's causing all this? Girls... Thank you very much, Nature Boy, Rick Flair. Oh, my. 
February the 12th opens up with WCW Monday Nitro up against the Westminster Dog Show, not Raw. We open up with Hugh Morris against Randy Savage. Morris crashes and burns going for a moonsault. Savage hits a top rope elbow drop and goes for another. He hits that one too and wins the match. Gene Oakland interviews WCW driver Steve Grissom, who is competing in a WCW-branded NASCAR. It should be said that without the competition of Raw, the pacing for this show seems a lot slower than usual. Scotty Riggs faces off against Loch Ness. After trying to topple him, Riggs gets flattened, going for a crossbody, then falls victim to two standing elbows. We join me and Gene Oakland on the stage, a woman and Miss Elizabeth, and a hospital bed. Flair pops up from under the sheet, wearing a suit, styling and profiling with the title. Elizabeth said that when she left Randy, she took half of everything, but last night she took everything. Next up is Dangerous Devon Storm against Conan. Storm grabs a chair and unfolds it and goes for a Sabu somersault dive style move to the outside. He goes to run up the ring steps, which he's moved for something, but Conan catches him and hits a powerbomb onto the floor. They cut to George Steinbrenner from the New York Yankees, who's watching in the crowd. The crowd is flat for what is some interesting and slightly clunky action. Conan hits the sunset flip powerbomb off the top rope and pins Storm for the three. The main event is Hulk Hogan against Iron Anderson. Hogan is wrestling with a plaster over one eye. Flair walks out midway through. A typical Hogan Flair match who wrestles like a heel, gets beaten down, then hulks up. Hits the big boot, then mocks Flair's strut before putting the figure four in on, and- on Anderson. Anderson distracts the ref. Flair walks into the ring and Hogan actually rolls him into a cradle whilst having Anderson in the figure four. Woman throws powder in Hogan's eyes. The ref cannot see it despite the puff of powder dust. Anderson uses Miss Elizabeth's shoe, hits Hogan with it and wins the match. Hogan revives himself quite quickly and dispatches of Anderson and Flair with big boots. Savage comes out and runs them off with the chair. Flair gets on the announcer's desk, grabs Bischoff's headset. Hogan and Savage run up to the stage area and Anderson and Flair scarper. Nitro on the 19th. During the introduction of Hulk Hogan and Iron Anderson, Eric Bischoff says, Do you hear that? Incessant whining from the northeastern part of the building. Bischoff also describes Vader as, quote, leaving with his tail between his legs after a physical confrontation with Paul Orndorff. Arn wins via disqualification after Savage enters the ring and cuts off the interference. Alex Wright becomes the next brave soul, taking on Loch Ness. Loch Ness wins with a standing elbow. Continuing the European feel for the show, the Belfast Bruiser takes on Brad Armstrong in a battle of the mullets. The Bruiser wins with a power slam. We end the show with Savage's world title rematch against Ric Flair. Savage puts Flair in the figure four. Savage then spits in Flair's face, which pops the crowd. Woman chucks her shoe into the ring. Savage catches it and levels Flair with it. He pins Flair. The counter seems to stop at two. Taskmaster runs out and grabs the shoe, providing the distraction. Ironson ends up in the ring and flattens Savage with the DDT. The ref counts the three and Flair retains. The post-match beatdown is stopped by none other than... Ed Leslie, a.k.a. The Zodiac, a.k.a. The Man With No Name, a.k.a. The Butcher, a.k.a. Brutus The Barber Beefcake, a.k.a. Brother Bruce Ty. Hogan now seems to be calling him The Booty Man. Hogan and Savage were irate uh, by the commentary booth as the show goes off the air. Now we're going to come back, quote-unquote, live to the show, uh, and we're going to review the parts of the final Nitro of the month. And we come back in for a review of the final Nitro of the month. Not a lot to discuss, but there was one match in particular that I did want to draw attention to um, 
yeah, I, I, I did. Um, but anyway, Nitro opens up on February the 26th with Eric Bischoff giving away the results at the World Whining Federation. We open up with Big Bubba against Sting. At one point, Bubba gets into it with an old woman in the front row, but this time it isn't Kevin Sullivan. Sting picks up Bubba for a pile driver, then drops onto his knees, almost like a reverse tombstone. It's actually quite a good match, but that shouldn't come as a surprise. These two have got good chemistry. Sting wins it with a top, uh, crossbody from the top. They're also doing a sponsored Pet Boys Power Pin of the Week, which I suppose guarantees at least one clean victory on every show. Uh, good match, that. I, I, I would say, as I say, Sting and, Sting and Bubba have good chemistry. Sting is good work against bigger guys. Bubba is a, a good big guy worker. Um, I wish they would do more with Bubba. I feel like he's a guy that could, feature on these pay-per-views it feels like it's been a while too um he he's second only to um only to booty man in terms of the amount of gimmicks i suppose um Oakland lines up for a promo with Sting and Luger. They're interrupted straight away by the Road Warriors. Animal wants to know where Sting's head's at. This segment takes a while, but Luger ends up accepting a Chicago street fight, which I presume is for Uncensored next month. Uh, doesn't really make sense, given that the main event is a, a number one contender match. Uh, the segment ends where Sting says to Luger, do you know what a, a Chicago street fight is? And Luger goes, I don't know, just a... Just normal match, isn't it? So that was, that I thought was quite good. Luger accepting a Chicago Street Fight without knowing what it was. <laughs> uh, Luger comes back out next for a match with the Renegade, who's back. Uh, I, so, uh, yeah, whose first appearance on Nitro not so coincidentally coincides with the Ultimate Warrior vignettes that aired on Raw this month. Hear about that in part two. For the two men involved, this is an absurdly good match. Um, I, I, I should say, absurdly good means a bog-standard average match, but a match that looked horrid on paper. Bischoff says Lex Luger, part of the supposed new generation, before crossing over to where the big boys play. And even match two, this wasn't a squash by any stretch, it ends when Jimmy Hart runs out and dumps Renegade off on the top turnbuckle before Luger puts in Renegade in the torture rack after the match. Sting comes out to confront Luger about Jimmy Hart, calls him pathetic and need, uh, in needing help to beat the Renegade. He's right there. Luger then raises Renegade's hand. Sting flips at Luger as the segment ends. Kieran, you've seen this match. What were your thoughts? Yeah, like, like you said, it's got no right to be like a match of any note at all because, I mean, a match where Luger is the better worker, how often does that bloody happen? But I suppose <coughs> if you've got a guy like as limited, I mean, that's doing him like... Some sort of service, actually. I mean, Renegade is just basically clotheslines and shoulder blocks. Um, but I actually quite enjoyed this match. I, I Like I said I said before on the pay-per-view, I, I, I kind of like where this story's going. I like this, what Luger's doing. I like what Tao Sting's reacting to what Luger's doing. Um, so, but when um, like Luger's saying, like, oh, well, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what happened after the match... To be fair to Luger, he never actually sees the interference. He might he might well be in on it, but he doesn't sort of betray that. He he actually like stays within the storyline. So I thought it was a decent match considering he was in it, and I like the stuff that came after it. Yeah, um, Renegade has yeah we haven't seen Renegade I think since uh, end of October, early November, something like that. Renegade has since been been down in WCW's power plant, their training school. Um, and essentially what I think they've been working on him with is let's cut the stuff you're not good at and focus on the stuff you're okay at. I think that's what they've been doing. He didn't throw any drop kicks. As you say, Kieran, it was his offense was mainly a couple of big power moves he's good at 
and shoulder tackles and clotheslines. And I don't want to overstate this match because you might watch it in isolation and go, Bob, what the hell are you on about? But <laughs> Luger relegated six months ago would have been awful. It oh, God. And, yeah. and this match was an even, even match, six, seven minutes, I'd say. Dare I say, go out your way to watch this just because it, it it's, you know, I don't want to overstate it, but I don't want to understate it either. As for Luger, the Luger stuff, I agree. I would say though, uh, it's beginning to feel a little bit like the, the one, two, three kid Razor Ramon storyline from last year. It's okay, a bit nuanced. You've got these two guys that are kind of like, you know, bouncing back and forth between face and heel or however you want to describe it. It's got to go somewhere at some point. I'm not saying it's there yet, but it's kind of like there's only so many times you can tell the same story each night. You can only tell the same story. Oh, is Sting happy? Is he not? Is Luger aware? Is he not? You've got to do something eventually, I think, to, to take the next step. But anyway, I think at the moment it's all right. Uh, next up is the Harlem Heat against the Road Warriors in a number one contender match. After a pretty good match, Booker T hits a rolling leg drop, but the ref is distracted. The animal, who wasn't the league of man, hits Booker T with a big kick and the Warriors win. Kimberly comes out with some flowers. This match takes ages to get going. Oh, sorry. That's the main event. I don't have my notes there. Uh, Kimberly comes out with some flowers for the main event. Uh, it's Hogan, Savage and the Booty Man, a.k.a. Zodiac, against Taskmaster. Uh, who else is in this match? I've gone blank. It wasn't in my notes. Taskmaster, uh, Hogan, and it would have been Taskmaster, Flair and R. That's right. There we go. Uh, this match takes ages for Savage liven things up. Hogan ends up winning it with a leg drop. After the match, Miss Elizabeth takes an absolute age to cuff Hogan to the turnbuckle. Basically, this big post-match angle planned where Miss Elizabeth was going to cuff Hogan to the turnbuckle and allow Flair to beat him up. As it was, the angle took, the, Miss Elizabeth took so long to get the handcuffs on Hogan tied to the turnbuckle that Hogan had already actually been beaten up. So by the time she got the handcuffs on Hogan, Flair had fucked off. Um, so it's a, it's a, an interesting way. The angle was a decent idea, but the execution was poor, and that's how the show goes off the air. That wrap up our Nitro coverage for the month. Uh, Brian, a quick question before we move on. Um, you joined us on the our first uh, month reviewing Nitro back last September. Uh, six months have passed now. We can, I suppose, we can talk about the the ratings, but I don't want to talk about it forever. Uh, what, what are your overall thoughts on Nitro? We haven't really discussed it with you since. You know, is it is it still the the show we review? in that first month is it still that same kind of excitement uh they definitely have dialed it back a bit i mean i haven't watched every single episode within the, the six month frame but the ones i have seen the, the things i have skipped around on it seems that they definitely have dialed it back a bit but at the same time with bischoff he seems to be pushing the envelope a little bit more regarding his uh, flagrant name checking of the wwf and it even uh, even at the pay-per-view oakland made note of two upcoming WWF champions might possibly be uh, coming to, the, to WCW. So that, I that, that's that. by no means isolated, though. Oakland will do Oakland will do anything to get you to Darley's hotline, and in amongst that is him. That that happens quite frequently. You will hear him. You know, there's the there's the line on Nitro back in October where he's he's in the middle of the ring. It's also in a pre-tape segment, and he says, "Call our hotline to find out which WWF performer got beaten up by a fan." Now, of course, this was this was two weeks after Shawn Michaels had got beaten up by nine Marines. So that was a, a very well-worded phrase but no i mean i think nitro is a as i say that there are certainly negatives let's let's be clear about that there are certainly 
stuff that, you know, there's certainly stuff that I would take gripe with in terms of, as I say, it's kind of already feels like a greatest hit show. Like every, every big major angle, every big major match ends with a run in, four or five guys come out, the baby faces come out, Hogan ends up on top, et cetera, et cetera, and we close with some form of promo. It's a bit formulaic in that sense, but it moves so quickly with featuring enough talent. You know, there's no squash matches at all, which is both a positive and a negative, but it's working out at the moment. I, I, I think a, you know, six months in, good so far, and you look at the ratings and you can't argue with it. I respect you, Booker Man, were the words of Brian Pillman as he walked out 90 seconds into what was supposed to be a 12-minute strap match against Kevin Sullivan, later being fired in an angle that only Pillman, Sullivan and Eric Bischoff were allegedly in on. The walkout, live on pay-per-view, was the latest in a series of incidents both on and off-screen that fueled the ongoing storyline. The evolution of the Pillman character can be traced back to when he formally joined the Four Horsemen. He was slowly moved into a more unhinged character, playing off of the authoritative Arn Anderson. As December became January, the antics became more overt. Him pointing the middle finger at a fan on camera, along with Eric Bischoff making multiple references to him becoming a loose cannon. The incident with Bobby Heenan at the Clash of the Champions, while still most likely unplanned, very nicely played into the story with Heenan saying, What the fuck are you doing? As for what's been happening off-screen, the night before the clash, Pillman disappeared and there were several higher-ups concerned that he might turn up on Monday Night Raw, which was airing live and only an hour's plane ride away. On Nitro on February the 6th, as we discussed earlier in the show, Pillman teamed with Arn Anderson against the Taskmaster and Hugh Morris. A horrendously mistimed match that at one stage seemed to see both Pillman and Sullivan having a shoot grappling match. Backstage after the match, Pillman stormed out after having an argument with Sullivan. The situation continued at WCW's Universal Tapings 2 the next day. Pillman showed up late and during a talent meeting held by Eric Bischoff mouthed off at him before spending the rest of the tapings apart from the rest of the crew. In terms of how it was being presented in person there was certainly a possibility it was a shoot, however what played on TV indicated differently. Sullivan cut a promo breaking a pencil, seeming to try and indicate to the portion of the audience that might know that he wasn't playing Booker in the match at Super Bowl. At the show itself, the 90-second match ended with Pillman saying, I respect you, Bookerman, before walking to the back. People putting the show together had 12 minutes allocated for the match, and there was apparently a panic backstage, not only trying to save the segment, which, if you were just casually watching, made almost no sense, and also the show. Arn Anderson came out dressed like he'd just been on the golf course, replacing Pillman for about four minutes, before Ric Flair came out and wrapped the segment up. WCW's answer to the lost time was to simply to have Luger and Flair kill time before their respective matches. Backstage, Pillman and Bischoff got into an argument in front of everyone. Swear words were exchanged and Pillman said something along the lines of sorry about your 12-minute strap match before leaving the building with Chris Benoit. Six days later, Pillman walked out unannounced at the ECW arena at their Cyberslam event, saying he'd been fired by Eric Bischoff, or should I say, Jerkoff. The rest of Pillman's tirade, which really needs to be heard to be believed, can be listened to on our ECW volume of this month's show. OK, we've been waiting the entire night to discuss this. Uh, Kieran, let, let's talk Brian Pillman. Yeah. Take it. I know you've seen all of this stuff, and you've also and, and come onto this in a minute as well. You've also seen the Pillman ECW promo that we discussed in Volume Three. As I say, I'd urge you if you're interested in the Pillman discussion, definitely check out that show because that that stuff is a continuation of what happens kind of after Pillman quote unquote departs WCW. Uh, but Kieran, what do you think? Just absolutely, I just find this. I I had to kind of, um, and of course you you gave me sort of like the context for it, but. 
Um, you know, he was part of the Four Horsemen, and then he becomes this more unhinged character. But unhinged doesn't really do the guy so. I find Pillman absolutely fascinating in everything he does. I watched. I've been watching so much Brian Pillman stuff. I can't even tell you. Um, I know it was a 90-second match, but what I was saying about how I liked it was because it's just because I'm that invested now in the Pillman thing and where I want to see it go. Um, I just think it's. I think it's absolutely fantastic. The Pillman stuff, and like when he then, and then almost just like a story extension, he takes it into another Fed, and then just drops this promo in ECW, which just it just just blew me away, blew me away. And so you can hear that in Volume Three, Brian. So when did he actually go over to ECW? Is this right here in the middle of February? Yeah, the the Super Bowl show is on February Sunday, February the 11th. Uh, he didn't show up on Nitro the following night, and then on Saturday, February the 17th, I think, ECW held their Cyber Slam live event, and about 25 minutes into that show, he interrupts Joey Styles. So, yeah, basically, like, Pillman's, for the month, if you want to have the timeline, he was with WCW until the 11th, and then he showed up on ECW on the 17th, didn't show up on any other WCW stuff for the month, and he also showed up at an ECW live event uh, towards the end of the month as well for a quick angle with Douglas. That That's his timeline for the month, if you like. Oh, wow. You know, I, I've known about this whole thing, but I've never realized it was that close. I never realized that the gap between the two companies was just literally, what, a little bit over a week? God, that, that's insane to me. What, 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 uh, do you think, what do you think of all this stuff? I, let's, I, I, you haven't seen the ECW angle, have you, Brian? I've seen clips of it. Oh, okay. As far uh, as uh, recently, I, I can't really uh, speak on it, to be honest. Uh, let's focus on the WCW side of things. What are your thoughts on how it's all kind of played out so far? I kind of wish that he stuck around more. I mean, I, I, I like where they were going. It was a ticking time bomb to see what exactly is going to happen with this Brian Pillman character. Where exactly is this going to go? I mean, he's still kind of hanging around with Arn, and they were dealing with the horsemen. Would Pillman have been involved with this upcoming Hogan fiasco? At the next pay per view. Well, he like, still uh, could. I think there. I, I think Dave Meltzer said that. Yeah, there may be a thought that you know the the, the ultimate goal with this is to get Pillman back in and having programmed with with Hogan. I've no idea how that would play out, but he still could. I think is the long and short of it. Uh, but equally, like one of my things with all this is that if it's all a story, like if he comes back in two weeks, I don't know that it matters. So I think there's a timing issue here in that they've got to keep him away long enough where it feels like you can tell a story. But carry on, Brian. Well, well, I mean, WCW and ECW can't have a working agreement with this. So, yeah, I mean, it's totally... Kevin Sullivan is a guy who works in, in, in ECW a lot. It's possible they do. It's it's possible. I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, don't get me wrong. A working agreement implies something more formal than it, it ever could be. But it's possible that Kevin Sullivan's talking with Paul Heyman and saying, "Okay, we'll give you Pillman. We kind of want his character to go in this direction." And to a point, I get the feeling that 
Pillman can dictate that as well, and that he can say, he can go in and say, you know, or just perform this character and say, look, this is what I'm performing in WCW. I want to continue doing it here. Um, and that ECW promo, I mean, if you think that the, oh, if you think there was some subtle-ish you know, booking references, listen to that ECW promo. There's nothing, <laughs> nothing subtle about any of that. Uh, calling fans smart marks, calling you Eric Jerkoff. God, it's a, de- definitely worth checking out volume three. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, I guess my feeling about all this is, and I, I, I said this when we discussed it in volume three as well, is, I think Pillman, yeah, I said in volume three, I don't know how anyone makes any money out of this. I, I will change that slightly. I think Pillman can make more money out of this in the ultimately, you know, if he can improve his character when his WCW contract comes up for renewal next time round, he can perhaps say, you, he will ha- perhaps be in a higher standing and perhaps say, you know, I can go to the WWF. There's always that. He can perhaps make more money. I just don't know how WCW make any money out of this. Like, I, I get the feeling they're all sat in the booking room going, yeah, we're workable. We use all these insider references. We'll send it to ECW. If he shows up on Nitro in a few weeks, what are they going to say? Like, what's the what's the theory? Oh, Pillman Pillman broke script and he went out and then he came back. Yeah. Like, there's it's not that they're telling a bad story. It's just that the audience that that story is relatable to is about you know the extent of the Wrestling Observer readership. I would say, Brian, what, what were your thoughts on that side of it? Uh, when you put it that way, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I agree with you. It's it just bizarre to see exactly the manner they're uh, the manner they're having this whole thing play out honestly i don't know i, I don't know where to, i don't know where to go with this Kieran? it's kind of made me think again about it because like i said but it's it's okay them doing this but if it is and he does come back what do they do because this is the same company that's doing storylines about bingo winnings and they're doing storylines you know, they're doing these Dungeon of Doom things and all these fantastical type characters, and now they want to try and do something quote unquote real. I, I yeah, I would I can't I would kind of worry if it did turn out that way and he did come back to WWE. I kind of worry that they'd even be able to deal with it and it would just look it, maybe they would just turn it a bit hokey and just destroy it completely. Yeah, I. Again, not necessarily the worst story. I just don't know how you present it in a way that gets over. Um, I think there is a version of a, an unhinged Brian Pillman character in a story arc within WCW that makes sense. But I don't think part of that is Sullivan breaking a pencil on Saturday night. I don't think part of that is Pillman going, I respect you, Booker Man. I don't think that's drawing any money. I think the bit that's drawing money is, can you convince people that Brock Pillman is a bit of a whack job? They're doing, they've done a good job of that. But it's got to translate into a, you know, if they want to put him with Hogan, this whole thing has to be able to come full circle and translate into a workable program alongside a cartoon character like Hulk Hogan. You know, it's. And it has to end in a, it has to end in a match. And it has to end in Hogan winning, because it always does. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we will wait and see, is the long yeah. story short. It's got us talking about Brian Pillman. Brian Pillman, as I said in the ECW part, is a guy that last year you could have forgotten about for months on end, even though when he wrestled, he was oftentimes incredibly impressive. He is still a guy that was just flying Brian, this, you know, kind of flat, bland character. He's almost done too good a job. He's almost pushed it so far now. Booked, that I, booked himself out of the, yeah, like booked himself out of the running almost, hasn't he? 
Perhaps. Yeah. But we, we we will see. Anyway, for our final discussion point of the month, uh, again, cross-promoting on a lot of shows, something we talk about um, at length in, in Volume 2 as well, and you'll hear a bit more of the context around this story. Not that there's a ton we know at the moment beyond that Razor Ramon, okay, Scott Hall, has handed in his his, uh, his notice period with the WWF and has subsequently been suspended by them for reasons that, in theory at least, aren't related in theory at least aren't related um but brian we are in a situation where we can be pretty confident in saying scott hall is joining wcw there are rumors that diesel is talking specifically with hulk hogan about coming in to join wcw because his contract's up soon and also rumors that uh brett hart is having discussions with them uh, the three that one seemed the least i wouldn't say credible the least likely um but but brian um picking off each of those in turn uh, i think if you're a wcw fan exciting times yeah i mean the wwf is something that i kind of catch here and there i don't really pay too much attention to it but i love the video games and razor ramon is always a guy too so having him with sting i mean that's a main money match oh, yeah what are your thoughts on, on, on what each of those individually would bring to WCW? Um, oh, man. Uh, I guess the remaining New York audience, I guess, whoever is still watching the WWF is still following along there. I mean, those are the big stars. If you get all three, I mean, who's who else would they have? Who's going to be stuck around? I mean... Didn't you say that the uh, Warriors also want talks of possibly going to the WWF? So if they lose Razor Ramon, Diesel, and Bret Hart, and they get in an Ultimate Warrior, you know that's not exactly a fair trade-off. So well, the, they've know, been airing luck. they've been airing Warrior vignettes on Raw this month, so I think that is a, a pretty much a guarantee that he will be coming back. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. And again, that we, we kind of discussed that side of it on, on that part of the show, uh, on WF part of the show in terms of what WF would lose. But, but Kieran, from a WCW perspective, you know, and it's, it's easy to overlook the monetary side of things, but I think to an extent we can in that if, if, you know, Turner is happy to put the money in and if they can find it, um, we can overlook it from WCW's perspective. It's, yeah, Razor Ramon, Scott Hall. Yeah, I, I think they're all very different. I mean, I, I'll let you go, 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 go on. What are your thoughts, Kieran? I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll say my piece in a minute. Um, I, I kind of I reserve judgment on the on the the Diesel Kevin Nash one because he he didn't have a great time in WWF. So I would hope they would do something different with him. Although I can't see him doing anything other than going up against Hogan. The ones that I think are real money spinners, like Brian alluded to, is the Razor Ramon one. The amount of guys he could work with just excites me straight away. Um, but the real Philip for WCW would be that, that Bret Hart one. I mean, oh, like a Bret Hart sting. It, it's salivate. I, th- I think if DCW, WCW got all three, I think, um, their roster would look so much stronger. It might be game over in the fight on Monday nights. I mean, because that's the thing. I said it in part two. It's not like this isn't a sports trade. This isn't football. This isn't NFL, whatever sport you want to use. In a, in a sports trade, if, you know, I'm not sure particularly, I I could. No, I know what you mean. It's like like you're not going to, you know, WWF don't fight WCW 
home and away, do they? Well, no, it's there not is, that. It's, it's if if WC if this was a, if they were two sports teams and WCW wanted to sign two guys from the WWF. Now, admittedly, okay. These guys are out of contract, so don't take this literally because we end up in, you know, difficult spots. But if, if WCW wanted to sign guys from the WWF, there would be a negotiation. There would be a, okay, what are we getting in return? And, you know, from a WWF perspective, they would either get a lot of money or they'd get guys coming the other way. And at the very least, they could presumably go out to somewhere else and sign guys that may not be as famous because they've not paying the big time, but sign guys that can fill that spot. The problem that WWF got is that this isn't sport, it's wrestling. Now, admittedly, it shouldn't make it easier because you can book big stars and they've not done a very good job of that in recent years. But if, if, if these three guys go to WCW, You've got more money, but you don't have you don't have anyone to bring in. You, you you can't bring anyone from the other end unless you can get them out of contract separately. But that's that's a separate story, and the money doesn't mean that much to you. It's not like you can go. Well, I, su- I suppose theoretically you could go to somewhere like uh, Japan, UK, Mexico, and sign a new star. I suppose. But again, it's not like sport in a sense where because wrestling is about drawing power rather than raw ability, it's not like if WWF could go to Mexico and sign a wrestler. Let's take Rey Mysterio Jr. as an example, one that guy we've seen a lot in ECW. Let's say Rey Mysterio Jr. is comparable in a wrestling ability to Bret Hart. If this was a sporting event, you could go to Mexico, sign Rey Mysterio, and plug him into the position in the squad that Bret Hart faced, and Rey Mysterio could fill a similar role. But because it's wrestling and because it's about familiarity and star power... Rey Mysterio comes in, you plug him into that main event spot, it doesn't work because it's it's about the intangibles rather than the raw ability. So they would be, I, I think, in a lot of trouble. I mean, Kira, we could draw this discussion out, and I don't want to do that. Mm. Um, but let's look at um, let's look at Diesel to begin with. Um, we look at a guy that we discussed to death last year. Yeah. Is there a thought that? Because I think there's, there's an interesting comparison between Diesel and Razor Ramon, the same applies in WWF, in that Diesel is a guy that we tried at the top, that it wasn't necessarily his fault, but it didn't work. There's that perception, and there's the perception with Razor Ramon, a guy who, size-wise, is very similar, but I would actually argue in a lot of areas is a lot better in terms of his work and his charisma, a guy that hasn't been at the top. I think there's an interesting dynamic there in that both guys come in and I think the viewpoint from WCW is we'll use, we'll use Diesel to go off against Hogan and then Razor can be a upper mid-card guy. But I think if WCW are smart, seize the initiative and seize the fact that Razor perhaps has more upside. What, what do you think about that, Kieran? To- totally. I, I, I would hope that they would have, in, in signing them, they have the foresight to do exactly that. I want in for me, I want Razor to be the guy that gets the big push. I just think they and that Diesel would then be sort of like your safe bet because he's the bigger guy. I just hope that they don't and they do have the foresight and they actually say, Do you know what? Razor looks like a million bucks. His character's great you can do a lot of things with the character, work as a heel, work as a face, do whatever you wanted to do. And I just think there'd be a lot more scope for them if it was Razor that went over rather than um, 
than Diesel, you know, to that to that top spot. Kieran, uh, any thoughts on that? Uh, sorry, Brian, even. <laughs> uh, I, I'm actually curious, and just listening to you guys talk back and forth. What would Razor Ramon come in as? I mean, he had been at WCW earlier. I remember seeing that in a couple of the magazines, but. When he left, wasn't he with Diamond Dallas Page? Yeah, Di- Diamond Star, wasn't he? Yeah, Diamond yeah, Star Scott Hall, wasn't it? Yeah, does he come back? Did they reference that? Did they let him, I guess, pick up where he left off from WCW? Does he become paired up with Diamond Dallas Page? Uh, I would guess, if we go by past history, in terms of guys that quote-unquote cross from one side to the other, you look at... Big Boss Man, who joined as the boss um, and worked a very similar style of gimmick until WWF got in touch and said, actually, you can't use that. I would guess he works as a cheap knockoff as his Razor Ramon character uh, under a different name. Uh, they will that they will keep it as close as they can without getting in legal trouble would be my assumption. I don't think there's any benefit at all saying he's Diamond Stud Scott Hall. Um, I don't think you know, that wouldn't make sense. It would be a weird thing to have him there and then come back in that gimmick. As you say, you then have to reference Diamond Dallas Page and they may not want to do that. That would be, that would be my assumption, would be he will play a very similar character, a very similar gimmick, you know, but they will dial it down in terms of it'll be under a new name, so there won't be the the razors on his you know trunks because it wouldn't make sense if he wasn't called Razor. Maybe they'd have the gold chains, maybe the toothpick because that's the kind of parts of the character that you can't you know you can't copyright. That will be my guess based on past history is they will get as close to the line as they can without going overboard. With my assumption, any, any more, Brian? Uh, nothing more, I guess. I mean, I'm with Kieran that Razor Ramon versus Hulk Hogan, I think there's money in that. I want to see him as, as the main star. Yeah. Like, I, I, I think it could end up being one of WWF's biggest regrets. Um, is that, you know, I don't want to oversell Razor, but it's, it's hard to work out where he's not got. The guy can talk, he's charismatic, he's over, he's got size, he can wrestle. Like, isn't that the, hmm. isn't that the, the goal? It's the blueprint. Yeah, it's, 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 like, what, yeah, what's he not got? Like, what's, I mean, maybe there's a thought, well, the, the Razor Ramon's a bit too much for a cartoon character. It's like, well, you're the fucking WWF, they're all cartoon <laughs> characters. You got by in the 80s with a giant cartoon character. Maybe if he's not this hyper real guy, like, yeah, like that's the thing. Like if, if Vincent Mann was designing a wrestler in a post-steroid trial world, I should I should point that out. In a post-steroid trial world, if Vincent Mann was designing a wrestler, it'd be Razor Ramon. Razor Ramon works in any era, Bob. For me. Oh no, he does. But if Vincent yeah. Mann was designing a, a, a prototype in the eighties, oh, oh sorry, I'm with you. Yeah, but in a post-steroid trial world where it can't all be about musculature. Razor Ramon is what he would want. He's got size, he can work, he can talk, he's popular. I don't know. I don't want to say Razor Ramon's the second coming, but if I am WCW, and I kind of viewpoint, if I look at WWF aside, Mankind, you know, Cactus Jack, who's going to play a character called Mankind, I kind of view that from their perspective as in, if you want to take shots at the other side, 
get over a guy that they couldn't get over. Make a star out of the guy that they couldn't or didn't want to. That, that, that's the way to take the shots. Don't do all this, oh, the World Whining Federation. Don't do these, like, billionaire TED segments. Take guys that your opponents didn't want to use or were unable or unwilling to use and make them stars. But anyway, it's going to be a fun few months to see how that plays out. As I say, as it stands at the moment, Razor Ramon, we believe he has, has, you know, agreed agreed to join WCW. Diesel is talking with Hulk Hogan, um, but there's some stuff. One thing that might hold up Diesel thing, actually, is that apparently Vincent Mann, uh, you'll hear all this in our WWF show, one of the things Vincent Mann has been complaining about WCW is contract tampering and discussing guys about guys under contract. If WCW think, ooh, we might be in legal trouble here, that might hold up the Diesel one if Diesel does want to go. Uh, and Bret Hart is more of a, a rumour, a story. I would add that up. I would say that. Anyway, that will conclude this month's show. We have gone a lot longer than I was expecting, but it's been some fun chat. Firstly, Kieran Mitchell, thank you very much, Kieran. Cheers, Bob. Thanks for having me again. Uh, Kieran, you can be found on Twitter. I can indeed, at the ever-popular Jotun Thrash 666. And Brian Barrera. Brian, thank you very much. Yeah, it was fun. I, I agree. I, I really enjoyed this show. I didn't think we... And some of the stuff that I thought we breezed through, we ended up chatting about for a long time. But, you know, such such is this show. Uh, Brian, you, of course... Uh, well, one of the, one of the reasons you're, you're on here, you came to my attention as the, uh, the mastermind behind the WCWWorldwide.com website, uh, the Tumblr, uh, the social media accounts. Tell people about those, where they can find them and what, what kind of things they can see on them. Oh man, I'm all over the internet with WCW Worldwide. <laughs> Instagram, Facebook, it's all out there. Uh, Basically, it's a tribute to World Championship Wrestling and all the characters and wrestlers involved uh, within. So I do focus a lot on WCW, but sometimes I'll veer into WWE, TNA, and other areas where, you know, WCW is related. I mean, I've scanned in an interview with uh, a magazine interview with Vampiro from Arena de Lucha Libre magazine, and I translated it and put it out there. You got some good shots of Vampiro looking sexy in 1994. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of unique and oddball things up on this website. I really don't know what to do with it, to be quite frank, but I'm just putting up stuff I like. I mean, today or yesterday, I put up a, a entry about these Japanese Sofubi dolls that you can go find out in Japan for 80 bucks a pop. And it, it's basically these super cute vinyl figures of Sting and Vader. And it's bizarre that you got a batch of the Road Warriors. You've got Hogan. You've got Andre the Giant. And they have these giant anime eyes. And they just look so bizarre. And I, I want all of them, but I, I can't afford them. So I put up stuff I like. And I think that's just the winning a ticket. I mean, if I like it, I'm hoping other people like it too. I mean, that's kind of the barometer of what I put up on WCWWorldwide.com. Yeah. Um, tell people where they can find you on Twitter or on Facebook. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just uh, WCW Worldwide on t- Twitter, Facebook, slash WCW Worldwide. You can find me anywhere. Just type me into your Google machine. I'll, I'll be there. And to be honest, if you Google anything WCW-related, chances are some of your magazine scans will show up, um, or your website will pop up, other things like that. But as I say, if you are if you are a WCW fan, uh, I think there is a there is a couple of hours to be spent rooting through your website just 
finding out shit, rekindling old memories, looking at stuff that you didn't know happened. Um, there's that great thing I think you put up in the middle of last year. It's actually WWF related of all things. Um, the, the, the shots of Hogan's war bonnet, um, of the kind of Hulk Hogan helmet with a big fist on the front. And everyone kind of went, I do not have any recollection of that. And that's the kind of thing that will appear on your site because you, you put in the time to, but have you, have you got the complete WCW magazine collection now, Brian? Oh man, I think I'm, I kind of slowed down a bit. I'm missing probably eight. I mean, when you look at the American run, I think I'm, I'm missing eight actual WCW magazine issues. I'm missing one full run, uh, one full year of WCW wrestling wrap up. And then I haven't gotten to collecting the German WCW magazines that are floating out there. Ah, that's a commitment. Did they do a German WCW magazine? I didn't know that. It looked like it was just a like a small run around 96, I believe, 95, 96, and maybe it went for eight or nine issues, and that was it. I like to think it was just all Alex Wright, but I, I'm guessing there was <laughs> I'm guessing there was more to it than just just like I don't think at least in every magazine you get your like pull out poster of Alex Wright, you know, some sort of dancing pose. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, yes. Uh, so uh, you I, I promoted them all throughout the show. So very simply, Volume Two WWF, Volume Three ECW. There is a lot of tie in this month. The ECW stuff ties in quite well with the Brian Pillman story, and the WWF stuff. There is a lot of WCW related shit on the WWF show including uh, not including uh, other things that we didn't reference on this show as well uh, anyway uh, yes we have three volumes for this month we are also recording a UFC volume as well I haven't promoted it uh, in part because I forgot uh, in part also because we're not taping it until next week so if you have downloaded this and listened in the first few days you may not see it but keep an eye out for that next week um, so four, four volumes for you this month in theory uh, you can find us on Twitter at Wrestling20RS it's all on website wrestling 20 rs.com facebook as well if you're on itunes do go there leave us a rating and a review uh and that's about it so until next time i've been bob barrett this has been volume one of the 9 february 1996 edition of the wrestling 20 years ago podcast and until next time goodbye see ya